Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Something witty. <laughs> Brothers of the Serpent Podcast. <laughs> And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, angels and demons and monsters and serpents to a Brothers of the Serpent podcast coming to you not live from the 10 by 10 by 10 tangent cube of science, also known as the candy cube of science, <laughs> nestled amongst the dusty bones of an ancient seabed high atop the Edwards Plateau. What was that? I was actually thinking of, let's not some Beck or something. I got one podcast and a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the pyramids just a little up the road from the excavation on these ancient stones. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, yeah, I dig that. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Yeah, feels good to kind of let the hair down a bit. Yep. No books today, no guests. Yep. Nothing just except a bunch of philosophers and snakes <laughs> in a cube. Snakes in a cube and one... Watcher, Mr. Brett England from deep beneath his secret space station in secret outer space. How you doing, buddy? You got that mic fixed? I read that Let's the watchers so. never sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I'm pretty sure that is wrong because I, I'm pretty sure you've fallen asleep before. Yeah. Yeah. We've caught him napping. <laughs> <laughs> the... The way that it the way that it works is we like to give the perception that we sleep, so we fake it because uh-huh. then people think people think we're not watching. <laughs> uh oh, oh man! How did our keyboard not work? That's not that's not cool. Oh, it's so dirty. <laughs> there it goes. No, that was the working. button I was trying to push. <laughs> We totally did not pause everything and just fix that. That was uh, Kyle just <laughs> no, 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 magically fix that on the fly. We did not stop the recording at all <laughs> and take five minutes to fix that problem. <laughs> I love time travel. <laughs> we never stop this podcast for fixes. <laughs> it's always, we just handle everything on the fly. That's right. Well, I'm glad that you fixed that because we have Space Weather News from SpaceWeather.com. CME impact possible this weekend. A faint CME that left the uh, the sun on May 7th could strike Earth's magnetic field on May 11th, according to NOAA analysts. The plasma cloud was hurled into space by an explosion on the magnetic canopy of big sunspot AR2740. If the CME does strike, it will likely be a glancing blow, sparking only minor geomagnetic storms. Sunspot breaking apart. Big sunspot AR2740 may be breaking apart. Magnetograms of the region made by NASA's Solar Dynamics Observatory show a magnetic canyon forming at the heart of the sunspot, literally splitting the sunspot in two. That's pretty cool. 
This type of canyon is also known as a light bridge because the magnetic gap allows light and heat from below to shine through. The nature of light bridges is not fully understood. They often herald the breakup of a sunspot with jets of plasma shooting up from the chasm as the sunspot decays. The light bridge is easy to see even in backyard solar telescopes. Take a closer look at this image taken today by amateur astronomer Peter De uh, wow. <laughs> uh, Desipri of Athens, Greece. His photo not only shows the growing canyon at the heart of AR2740, but also a long, dark magnetic filament snaking away from the active region. A lot is going on. It's hard to believe we're seeing this during solar minimum, says Desipri. Readers with solar telescopes are encouraged to monitor developments. So yeah, you can see the yeah, that's there's cool. this filament coming out of it. Man, I wonder, like... And I've done this. People, like, uh, one cheap way to do it if you have a regular telescope. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Just go to the nearest hardware store. <laughs> <laughs> just go to the nearest hardware store and get yourself a uh, a welding shield. Not You don't have to buy the whole helmet. Just buy the piece of glass. And I aimed my telescope at the sun when it's going down. At that point, it's already going through a whole, a whole bunch more atmosphere anyway, so it blocks a little light. And so you have the telescope close to being level, and then you just set the freaking welding glass on the eyepiece, and then you can look through it and see the sun, and it's awesome looking. I don't know if you should suggest people do that. We're not <laughs> suggesting totally you do that. <laughs> We're suggesting you get official sun lenses on your telescope. Yeah, okay. That's boring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that's, fine. That's what we're suggesting. <laughs> I actually looked it up. A welding lens is darker than the standard sun blocker. So. <laughs> you anyway. You right, folks. <laughs> Solar wind speed is 307.2 kilometers per second, and the density is 17.0 protons per cubic centimeter today. Yeah. So that's space for the news. Is that kind of like the barometer for? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, wind, wind is coming from the south-southwest, 14 <laughs> kilometers an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's on spaceweather.com on the upper right. It says current conditions, solar wind, speed 307.2 kilometers per second. And then it has the density, which is 17.0 protons per cubic centimeter. X-ray solar flower flares a six-hour max. And then it has a whole bunch of numbers that I don't understand. And then the 24-hour max. So if the proton density drops drastically, does it rain cosmic rays? Yeah. <laughs> that's cool <laughs> yeah that's right it is a kind of a barometer I guess <laughs> that's, that's awesome yeah so yeah what I was going to say is like you know the guys at CERN build these huge electromagnet electromagnets and stuff um, you know to fire proton beams or whatever yeah that's but, those are protons yeah that's what I said yeah, proton yeah. beam yeah, yeah so they should make a massive thing to like sort of uh, experiment with levels close to the sun's like magnetic, uh, magnetic levels and high heat, ah. to, like play with plasma and magnets. Oh, okay. You know, try to try to recreate that type of stuff where like, okay, we're going to cut this plasma in half <laughs> with a magnet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. That's a good idea. Like, just try to emulate the... I, I think that's the solar wind at at Earth. No, I'm, I'm talking about the, the sunspot that's, like, being divided, oh. and there's this huge beam of light and the oh, magnetic yeah. 
the, the magnet is like a knife. That's just a like great way to blow up your lab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to melt this rock into some plasma, and then we're going to slice the plasma in half with a magnet. <laughs> It should make a solar flare. Everyone get ready. <laughs> Magnusord. <laughs> Magnusord. <laughs> Screw lightsabers. I want a Magnusord. <laughs> All right, so we have some uh, listener communications here. First one is a comment on the... Um, this is the most recent... Yeah, this is the most recent conference call we posted with Randall Carlson, the CAC 5-6 conference call. This is from... Uh, uh, well, the name, the name posted is Lubeck, and he says, Hi, guys. Last time you talked with Randall about the moon, and he mentioned that it, was a, it has a non-uniform density. This stimulated me to think about it, and I have a theory that maybe the moon is like a vessel with a very hard, solid surface, but inside there may be molten metal or even water or some kind of liquid. That's I'm adding that, some kind of liquid. However, it is not fully filled in, and there is hollow space. I theorized that our Earth attracts this liquid, and more of it is gathered on the side facing our planet which leaves some void on the other side. This makes mass distribution on the moon uneven, and maybe because of that, the moon stays somehow fixed with the same side facing the Earth. Can you please ask Randall what he thinks about this? Kind regards from Pol Poland, and his name is spelled W-O-J-C-I-E-C-H. Wallach! He says, good luck in pronouncing my name. <laughs> so, thanks for the warning, buddy. I had to look it up. It's Wojciech. Oh. I was pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have said Wojciech, <laughs> but it's 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 Wojciech. So Wojciech. At least that's what pronouncednames.com hey, on YouTube hey, hey. says. Poland. Vo Wojciech. Yeah. We're Poland and Texas. We're brothers. <laughs> that's right. But that that's an interesting Score. idea. Uh, Randall seemed to imply that he was thinking of some kind of honeycombed interior. At least that was the idea that I got. Right. Yeah, that there's some kind of lattice work on the inside. Maybe there's honey inside. Is what <laughs> Walshek is saying. <laughs> of course, <laughs> and Earth's gravity pulls the honey to one side of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah man. I can ask him if he, what he thinks of uh, some kind of a liquid interior. I know that the moon is uh, is not volcanic at all. Um, that doesn't mean it doesn't have some kind of liquid interior. It doesn't have to. But be But it hot. used to be right. I mean, there's signs that it used to be, or no? Well, there are no volcanoes, but there are huge lakes of lava, so it's unclear. Okay. I always have just taken the Sumerians' word for it that the reason it looks like that is because it got blasted from the outside, not that its own yeah. interior. You know, like the far side of the moon is just mountains. It's, it's incredibly rugged, right? The near side of the moon has tons of flat plains and enormous... Uh, seas of these uh, the, the dark areas are basically they call them mares but they're enormous flat lava plains mm. ancient and and covering you know an appreciable amount of the surface of the of the thing and if you look on the backside it's all incredibly jagged and mountainous hmm. so it's like one side got like pancaked the watcher watcher is saying the moon <laughs> <laughs> Due to the low viscosity of most lunar lava, volcanic mountains were seldom, seldom created. Instead, basaltic lava flooded large areas, which became Lunar Maria. Shield volcanoes are known from a very few areas on the moon. They are called lunar domes. So maybe it was like the one side of it was all molten, and the other side of it is yeah, never was. Right. And so it's like 
more porous and stuff, and the molten side was able to solidify Could and be. crystallize a lot more dense. Yeah. So it's always facing us. The dense denser side is yeah. facing the earth. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Shield volcanoes are also pretty rare in terms of being volcanoes. There are very few of them on Earth. I think Fuji is one, and one of the the big island of Hawaii is one. Because a shield volcano actually ha- contains the magma chamber inside of it, so they're enormous. Like yeah. they're just absolutely freaking gigantic. And you look at like you, I've I've looked at geological diagrams or whatever, and they're showing you like mountains. Or, what? No, I don't know. Internet connection terrible. I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So the the. Like regular mountains are, you know, small and then a regular volcano with the, with the magma chamber in the bottom, the, basically the volcano is just the nozzle. But then a shield volcano actually has the chamber in it and that makes it absolutely enormous. So, Yeah, maybe I got a phone call. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, we just lost the watchers. We just, just disconnected. Kyle forgot to turn on no. but it's saying that that actually didn't get a call but it's saying that something's not right with google yeah google is being infiltrated (sighs) right now okay there we go got the watcher back on here examples of shield volcanoes are kilauea and mauna loa and their hawaiian friends fernandina and its galapagos friends Carl, Carl, Carlthala, Carthala, Carthala, Ertael, Tolbachik, Masaya, and many others. Here are four of the volcanoes that comprise the Big Island of Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, shield volcanoes are really big compared to other mountains or even regular volcanoes because they have to they have to contain they contain the magma chamber inside them. Like I was saying, yeah. Most of the time, the magma chamber is way down underground, and the volcano is just like the, the throat and like and the nozzle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like imagine a you know a, a, an air compressor so that makes you sense you have a huge though, tank and then you've got this little hose and a little nozzle that's yeah. a regular volcano the, the tank the enormous tank is the magma chamber deep beneath the earth not visible at all and then there's this little nozzle but a shield yeah. volcano has to have the nozzle and the and the hose and the tank all in the same thing and you have to hold it <laughs> it's like <laughs> So that would make sense if the moon was being bombarded, that it would have shield, quote unquote, shield volcanoes, because the actual bombardment was the thing that created the magma chamber to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. And so if the, that three mile deep threshold is like something ridiculously hard yeah. that impacts couldn't penetrate, then they would basically create small shield volcanoes. Oh, I see. On yeah. top of it, because they come in and then they just completely, yeah, you know, quote unquote vaporize, but yeah, just whatever you call it, mag- magmatize. Yeah, yeah, completely turn into energy and melt everything. And right, yeah. and then that would, you know, it would cool off on the outside, and you'd end up with a shield volcano. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like the nature of craters, you know. Uh, like you look at Meteor Crater, and even though it's filled with, I think, a hundred feet of sediment at this point, it's like a bowl, right? It's very deep, and so the fact that that is a that that's a, a ratio of any any crater of any size is going to have this ratio of penetration to width. Hmm. 
So, and then the moon has no... It doesn't seem to matter, like, what the material is. Well, I don't know if any crater would penetrate the crust. I mean, like, if it did, we the planet would be fucked. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, I mean, the material the material matters to a point. But, but there are other things that start happening once they get enormous. You know, the big splash. Yeah. And then that falls back down in and spreads out and makes other concentric rings inside the crater or whatever. But, and then the nature of the planet shape itself, uh, right? So it's basically spherical. So if you make an enormous dent in one side, the, the energy required to make that enormous dent liquefies everything in that spot. And so all that liquid sort of tries to, tries to reform level. Yeah. 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 But on the moon, you just have these enormously wide, but relatively shallow craters. You know, yeah. where you basically, and this is in part because the moon has a close horizon within two miles of where you're standing is the horizon of the moon. But you can stand in the middle of craters on the moon and can't see the outside edge. Yeah. So dump a bunch of baby powder on the floor <laughs> and then <laughs> spike an egg right in the middle of it. Yeah. And that's kind of what a moon crater looks like. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Try this at home, folks. <laughs> Put a half inch of baby powder on the floor and just throw an egg into it as hard as you can. <laughs> Simulating moon craters. <laughs> Make sure you turn off all fans. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you could have a little heater going. Yeah. Solar wind. Right. I guess so. A little bit. Yeah. Okay, that was a, that was a great comment, uh, Wojciech. Thank you. Uh, sorry if I mispronounce your name. <laughs> <laughs> now, thanks for the warning, because when he was like, "Good luck in pronounce," and I looked at it, I was like, "Oh <laughs> shit!" So I actually went to YouTube and like listened to how to say it. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably like, "No, that's wrong." <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a whole bunch of argument on whether that was the right way to say it too. So I was like, "I'm just gonna go with it." I wonder if I got it right. <laughs> 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 okay, what else do I have here? That was the first comment. Yeah, so I got some emails. Uh, pulling up emails. Okay, so this one's from Alex Coppersmith. We've talked, this guy has sent us communications before. Talked to him on Twitter. He's cool. Says, hey, bros, just wanted to bring up something that's been on my mind since listening to the last few episodes. On episode 92 and 93, uh, which are the arc, that's the... Yeah. Sign of the Seal episodes. You discussed the Ark being stored within grains inside of a gold-lined room. And King Tut's nested Ark, each layer lined with gold, mentioning it could be a capacitor. It got me thinking of Wilhelm Reich's theoretical orgone energy and the orgone accumulator he built to draw in and concentrate the energy into a space you could sit in. Maybe there is some connection and whatever was in the Ark used this energy. He did put a small amount of radioactive material in his accumulator, which seemed to amplify the radioactivity and very quickly irradiated his property and the surrounding area enough to get the attention of the feds who, through other reasons, put him in prison and burned all of his research and books. You only burn something if you never want anyone to see it again, which, me which I think means he was onto something. I know his work has a lot of controversy. His whole orgone is orgasm energy, but I think he is just misinterpreting the data. Anyway, take it easy. Can't wait for the next episode. So yeah, I've looked into the Oregon energy stuff, and it is a fascinating thing. I've always wanted to try building the stuff that the guy said, but like you said, it's difficult to get the exact plans for his uh, 
And you don't want to have all of your stuff burned and thrown in. <laughs> right. We can do that ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty of other ways to do that. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess if you're going to pick one, that would be a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you in for? <laughs> well, <laughs> let me tell you a story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of those guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I developed the newest best electronic technology and then they came and got me and burned everything yeah there's actually a story i had i I don't have it pulled up as i was like well maybe i won't read this but there was a story i'll just tell it from memory because i just read it where this there was this area in this town where everybody's key fobs for their cars and their garage doors open door openers just stopped working like it was this whole area in this residential part of the city or whatever, and no one could use their key fobs. And they were, you know, and they were just like, what the fuck? You know, the, the gate openers for the gated communities and opening their garage doors and unlocking and locking their cars would stop, just stop working. And they eventually figured out that this guy, <laughs> this guy somewhere nearby in the area had built some contraption to warn him if someone was in the house when he was up in the attic or something like that. And it tra- it, w- it worked on the 315 megahertz or whatever which is the same frequency that everybody's key fobs and garage door openers work on and it was just putting Scrambling out putting out so much of a signal that it was basically working as a jammer yeah and so the feds went into his house and <laughs> dismantled the device and made him swear not to ever build another one like that ever again <laughs> and now everybody's stuff works so it's close <laughs> And I guess he was a uh, I can't remember the details but he was a um, a special person. Not n- not he was very very smart but like autistic or something. I don't know what it was exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he was just like, "Oh, this will help me uh know if anybody is intruding in my house while I'm upstairs." Yeah. Right? And he just builds this thing and it's like <laughs> and all everybody's stuff stops working. <laughs> <laughs> But they didn't arrest him and, or burn down any of his stuff. It's kind of upsetting. Like, makes me feel like uh, none of the trinkets that I've made are any good because <laughs> they because the feds didn't break down my door and burn everything I have. <laughs> <laughs> so they must not be very important. <laughs> Brett wants Keep to know, trying. What, Brett wants to know. The watcher wants to know what the spelling on the name is. Um, well, let me find that. It is W-O-J-C-I-E-C-H. Wojciech. Wojciech. Wojciech is something like that. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to call you Snake Bro. (laughs) Sorry about that, Snake Bro. I liked the name that your comment was under, Lubeck. What's wrong with that? (laughs) Anyway, uh... Alex, thanks for the, thanks for the comment. And yeah, I I have looked into the Oregon stuff. I, we've never maybe we'll cover it on the show someday. I was also fascinated by the idea that 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 those things that he built could seem to affect weather. He can make it rain or stop storms. It also seemed to uh, cause UAP or what people would call you know flying saucers or whatever UFOs, lights in the sky. Waps. Yeah. Waps. Yeah. Wap wap flaps. <laughs> Since a widespread sighting of UFOs is called a flap, uh. if we're now going to call them waps, they're wap flaps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay. I also have one here from the Grand Watcher. Giants 2. He says, I read on, number one, I read on MSN.com today that uh, recent research reveals that a race of Antarctic penguins were once eight to 10 feet tall. What was different in that age that everything was so freaking large? Hmm. And then he says, were the little guys, the, you know, where we were talking about the last episode where they yeah, were yeah, the giants. The pygmies. And, yeah, he says, were those guys greys? Yeah, Remember the Grand Watcher is a big ETH guy. Uh, maybe they were. <laughs> Could be. The moon-eyed people. <laughs> yeah. They I mean, large dude, eyes and they're three feet tall. Yeah, so I've been going through um, a Trojan Feast recently and referencing back and forth between that and, uh, which is Joshua Cutchin, by the way, uh, and g- referencing between that and um, Messengers of Deception, which is Jacques Vallée on the UFO phenomena. <clears throat> and, of course, they're, they're chock full of, you know, witness accounts of... Various weird things, and in uh, some case, some of the cases, and in Jacques Vallée's book, a lot of the cases, most of them are UFO accounts with dealing with entities and aliens. And the Greys are often def- described as having half moon shaped or wraparound eyes. Yeah. So yeah, could be Grand Watcher. So it was Nephis and Greys, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Mystery solved. <laughs> Mystery solved. <clears throat> but yeah, the, uh, I forgot the guy's name who wrote the book. Um, Richard J. Dewhurst? Dewhurst, yeah. The giant? Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the book, he talked about, I think it was in the book, because I read a bunch of other stuff like right near the end. And so maybe this wasn't in the book, but there was a part about um, people being large and the idea was that cold climates is where all the large animals are. Yeah. Except for the dinosaurs. Yeah, I guess. You're right. The large, large mammals. mammals. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to think mostly may... in the in the tropical areas, like the mammals are small. Hmm. Was the point. Oh, okay, I see. So hmm. when you get warming, like everything ends up being smaller. Huh. And in the in this like really cold, everything has to be really big. I wonder if that could have to do with density of air. Because I've always thought that Yeah. <clears throat> could be. You know, if it's colder, the air is denser. Or at, at sea yeah. level. See, that's always weird, yeah. That conundrum. <laughs> if you pull a vacuum, things get cold. <laughs> cold is low pressure. Yeah. But if you have take low- a take a known concentration of air and you cool it down, it becomes more dense. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like if you extract the energy from it, it becomes dense because right. it's not moving around as much. Right. It's weird. God. <laughs> the universe is weird like that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So the watch says, remember the article we read about denser atmosphere being involved with higher solar. Man, something weird going on here with the with the watcher. Yeah, it's Google. Something's not right. Yeah, we're having trouble connecting to Google. Hmm. Sorry about that, folks. You can't just click on that. Oh wow, it's not. It, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we keep we keep losing the chat with the watcher, so I couldn't read. I couldn't finish reading his sentence there. But basically, he was saying that air density and uh, 
I think there was something about higher levels of oxygen results in <clears throat> results in larger organisms. In part because there's support. Like one of the reasons why we have enormous animals in the ocean is because they're supported, right? Yeah. Like the the water density can support enormous shapes. Yeah, there was something like that. Uh, some experiment that they did with fish. Yeah. Where they increased the density the in the pressure, water. Yeah. Or the pressure of the water. Yeah. And the fish <clears throat> became twice grew as big. Yeah. Larger. Denser atmosphere being involved with higher solar energy and increased metabolic metabolic rates created larger organisms. Yeah. There was something about it with with high like if we had a higher oxygen content too. So like if you have a higher Let's say, for example, that because we know that this happened, especially in the in the period where the dinosaurs were around, <clears throat> there are there is evidence that the CO two trace amounts were somewhere around fourteen to sixteen hundred ppm. Yeah, right, and that sort of makes sense because we look at all you know you look at all the uh, the the enormous animals that were uh, herbivores, and you're like, okay, what? You know, what could support? You need enormous biomass to support those gigantic animals, right? Yeah. So anyway, the idea being that this much higher level of CO2 results in a, a biomass of plants that is just un, something we can't even imagine today. Plants on a scale that we can't imagine. And in some, in some cases, that's seen in fossil plants where they're, they're just, just gigantic huge. versions yeah. of what we have now, like ferns that are... Yeah. Gigantic. So that would result in a massively increased oxygen output. Right. So you have higher higher percentage of CO2 and then a much higher percentage of oxygen and then a denser atmosphere and say the magnetic field is much stronger so it's being protected. And then you result it results in these enormous all those things together, not one of them, right? It's not yeah. just higher oxygen, it's just not just higher pressure, it's all of that together results in so higher pressure at sea level much higher levels of whatever kind of air you're breathing, whether it's CO2 or oxygen, results in higher meta metabolic rates and enormous creatures. How long do uh, mm. elephants live? Do they have long lives? Yeah, like 100 Very years. Lives, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because in in a lot of species, like the large, the largest of them have the shortest lives. Yeah. That's true. The larger ones have. But, well, I mean... A mouse lives for a very short period of time, whereas a monkey will live for forty years or whatever. No, but I mean the within that species. Oh, okay. Oh, I, I see what you mean. Like a really big something, like dog, will be have a shorter life than a small then dog. Small dogs, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. And maybe that's not across the board. Maybe that's only dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because because across mammals, it's the other way around in general. The larger the animal, the longer it lives. Yeah, that's a good point. So in the in the genera, as opposed to species, is that right, Watcher? Is that genera? Is it mammals? Or is that phyla? I can't remember that. I can never remember the freaking terms. Uh, I'm not even gonna guess and make myself sound like an idiot. I don't know. Genus. Genus. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. Phyla sound, what I was going to say is phyla sounds like plants yeah. somehow. I don't know. Yeah. I shouldn't have said it. I sounded better before I said I <laughs> before I guessed at anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
uh, let's take a break and check out what all of what is going wrong here with our. Oh yeah, we're up at a break. I still have more, a little bit more listener stuff. We can do that after the break, and then I've got some stories. Kyle has a. You have a story. I've I've got two. Kyle doesn't have any stories. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) we'll come. We'll be right back. Yeah, I have one. (laughs) Sort of. Welcome back, Scrip Snakes. We are <laughs> Brothers of the Serpent Podcast in the 10 by 10 by 10 Tangent Cube of Science. And we have the sands of time rolling. Yeah. Uh, handling all technical difficulties flawlessly. <clears throat> Zero things. <clears throat> <clears throat> I have one news story. News. Yeah, I have more listener stuff, but maybe we just do that next week. A tectonic plate. Oh, no, no, no. This this is just a quick aside. Oh, okay. Massive story prints out to 18 pages. A tectonic plate may have peeled apart, and that could shrink the Atlantic Ocean. Hmm. One guy. But Atlantis is not real. Has a theory. <laughs> and after a long time of reading this story, I found out that's all it is. <laughs> so, back to you, Russ. <laughs> it's like one guy's un- uncorroborated and no one else has looked at it theory, basically. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, hey, you know, nothing wrong with that. We have those. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just not going to read all 18 pages. Right. But it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. But it's, who knows? Right. There's Makes some sense. weird, okay, all right. I should do it more, better justice than that. <laughs> There's some strange things going on in the Atlantic, at the Atlantic Ridge. Um, uh, like- under, you know, there's strange seismic anomalies and they don't understand what the deal is and the guy's theory is that the tectonic plate is actually splitting it's peeling apart oh huh and that's going to end up pushing up a piece of the like the upper piece of the of the tectonic plate and thereby shrinking the atlantic ocean or some such thing yeah because the thinner it becomes the more it'll uplift i guess that's cool interesting Bunch of computer models. Yeah. It's only a model. (laughs) Come on. I just wanted to be cynical about it. (laughs) Just like, yeah. 18-page story. One guy's theory. (laughs) What what website was it? Um, Well, I know it was on Google News. Okay. Because um, good friend and fellow snake bro... um, God, I can never remember your freaking aliases. <laughs> uh, Billy. <laughs> he sent it to me. 
Uh, it's actually National Geographic. Okay. So the the story that I have from my news feed is National Geographic. Okay. But he shared it to me via Seems legit. via Google News. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a good story. Go read it. Not going to do it on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is from Henry. You guys remember H. Hablack? Uh so he says, I've been going through the back episodes, and I'm impressed with your knowledge. Was going to recommend Gordon White to you guys, and then I heard you talking about him on an episode the other day. I own a copy of Starships. Great book. Yeah. By the way, people, get Star.ships by Gordon White. It is fantastic. About ancient civilizations and magic. The more I listen to you guys, the more I'm convinced that I am not just crazy. <laughs> I have a theory that I'm sure is not original, that mythology is a technology of how to transmit actual events to the initiated. Ugh. To most, it's just a weird story we tell to kids, but if you know how to understand the language of birds, quote-unquote, you can understand actual historical events. People and creatures usually represent whole cultures. Events such as wars and cataclysms. Obviously, your show is about understanding this language because we're all the kids now that are just too dumb to understand these stories, whether by design or just ignorance. Anyway, keep on crushing it. I'll send you guys more cool stuff soon. Dude, that's awesome. That's what was what the first uh, thing you said about the... What, what the ancient texts are. The ancient. Yeah, he said, I have a theory that I'm sure is not original that mythology is a technology of how to transmit actual events to the initiated. God. That's exactly right. Brevity we... is the soul of wit. Yeah. <laughs> that is a great way to put it. Yeah. We talked about this uh, quite a bit about how, like, the ability to put the stories together in the first place is a lost technology. Yeah. And in such a way to make the Ensure stories that they are transmitted through the ages. Yeah. yeah, make the stories such a way that people will tell them to each other, whether they understand it or not, so that somebody that can't understand it will come along and hear it. Right. Because otherwise, the person that may have the ability <clears throat> to understand it will never hear it because it wasn't being repeated. Right. And the idea that characters in and stuff are in the stories are actually actually may represent entire cultures. Yeah. Yeah. That's dude. straight from the Gilgamesh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like. Hell yes. Yeah. So that's awesome, dude. Yep. So again, that's that's Henry. Uh, we'll plug his stuff at the end of the show. He's awesome. And apparently he's sending us a one-up box. We haven't gotten it yet. Ooh. <laughs> How did he get that sound bite? <laughs> do 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 do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, about the tectonic plate, the watcher says if it pushes upwards, wouldn't that displace water further up onto shorelines as it became shallower? <sighs> no, watcher. Watcher. You had to say something about the one story that I didn't actually read <laughs> anything about. So I will have to do better justice to the story, which should make Billy happier. <laughs> he did share that story with me, and then I just oh, yeah, tried just it. like, fuck this story. <laughs> Sorry, Betty. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's all the emails I got for this week. So, But I have a couple of stories that I want to read. First one is from propertycasually360.com. Is an alien invasion covered by insurance? <laughs> this is a fantastic story, guys. There is insurance for alien abductions, property damage from a UFO, and alien vandalism. <laughs> Did you know that the Inter International Academy of Astronautics, the IAA Institute, has a detailed plan for how to announce an event of an extraterrestrial discovery? In 1989, the IAA adopted the Declaration of Principles Concerning Activities Following the Detection of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. <sighs> Revised in 2010, it is now referred to as the First Protocol, which is a way better name. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we pursued the question, what if there was an alien invasion? What if aliens visit and cause bodily injury or property damage? Is insurance available to cover such liabilities? <laughs> The search for aliens has been ongoing for decades. Because of NASA discoveries, about half of humans are convinced that alien life exists. In fact, scientists and astronomers are still theorizing and disagreeing over whether the interstellar Oumuamua was an asteroid, a comet, or something else entirely. That was the cigar-shaped thing? Yeah. Yeah. The extrasolar cigar-shaped, not a spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the accelerating cigar. Right. <laughs> No discussion of extraterrestrial insurance would be complete without addressing the possible risk of alien abduction. Alien abduction insurance, or AAI, aka UFO insurance, supposedly covers the insured in the event that he or she can provide verification of abduction by non-human life forms or aliens. <laughs> in 1994, a company now known as UFO Abduction Insurance Company insured 35,000 Americans against being kidnapped and eaten by aliens. <laughs> Today, this company sells a $10 million policy and has sold more than 100,000 policies with at least two paid-out claims. Wow. <laughs> UFO Abduction Insurance Company is not the only policy option. Lloyd's of London has sold approximately 20,000 alien policies, according to Sun Life UK. In 2018, Insurance Business reported that Budget Insurance in the UK was promoting a new alien abduction insurance policy option, offering to add their interested homeowner policies policyholders to a waiting list. So if you own homeowner insurance with them, they will put you on a waiting list for their alien abduction insurance. If I was in the UK, <laughs> I would get crop circle insurance. Because, <laughs> damn. <laughs> Farmers in the UK should have crop circle insurance. <laughs> ISO coverage. Let's explore some of the coverages and exclusions under the ISO homeowners three form, the commercial property and general liability coverage forms. Homeowners. If a UFO or unidentified flying object lands on and destroys your house, there is no exclusion for that damage. However, if the UFO lands on the ground causing holes, that damage would fall under the land exclusion. Should the UFO leave any parts to be removed, that debris removal expense is not covered as debris removal is for covered property only. <laughs> Should aliens come into and destroy the home, there would be coverage for that direct physical loss. <laughs> under the HO0003, personal property is covered on a named perils basis, and there is no named perils for aliens eating the coffee table. <laughs> Insureds concerned about aliens invasions should consult their agent about an HO0005. <laughs> gang, gang, gang. <laughs> Get your insurance. <laughs> if a UFO or aliens harm non-residents, for example, neighbors taking refuge in your house, then first aid and medical payments coverage would extend to those persons subject to the terms of coverage F, medical payments to others. If your neighbors bring personal property with them and the alien forces and insured insure to destroy the property, up to $1,000 is available to replace said property. <laughs> There is an exception under the expected or intended injury exclusion for bodily injury resulting from the use of reasonable force to protect persons or property. If an alien came into your residence threatening damage or bodily harm, you could use force to defend yourself and the policy would defend you against claims of injury from the alien. <laughs> if an alien infects you with a communicable disease and you then infect others, no coverage will apply for any resulting bodily injury or property damage arising out of this communicable disease. General liability. The ISO general liability coverage form provides a third-party liability coverage for bodily, bodily injury or property damage sustained by the insured. <laughs> the form includes several provisions that would apply in the event of bodily injury or property damage resulted, uh, caused by or resulting from a UFO or alien. The exception to the expected or intended injury exclusion would apply in the protection of persons or property. 
Anyway, it's hilarious, dude. This whole, I mean, they just keep going on and on and explaining how business income and extra expenses and uh, aliens as the insured. Would aliens be eligible for purchase of an insurance policy? That would be that would depend on if an alien were actually termed as an individual or some kind of collective. And it's hilarious, dude. <laughs> that is freaking awesome. <laughs> $10 million. <laughs> Okay, so the other article I want to read is from ancient uh, ancient originsnet one of my favorite. Long I've been long been a member there. Uh, they have all kinds of. They put out four or five articles a day on ancient origins and weird archaeology. So now that I got my smoke going, ancient attraction: Mesoamerican sculptors created magnetic stone figures. Hmm. This is in response, if any, of you, if any of you remember the show with Bosley, with Walter Bosley, where we talked about Burton, and I asked, because he was telling us about going to Tiwanaku and Pumapunku, and yeah, I asked him. if there him, was any magnetism yeah. in there. Yeah, so this is, in, this is the first thing I've seen from a place that I trust that talks about this. All right. Researchers from the world-famous Harvard University in America have made an astounding discovery in Guatemala. They have collected evidence that a very ancient Mesoamerican culture intentionally created monumental human sculptures which are partially magnetized. Hmm. The study has found that the creators of the pieces were able to detect and carve magnetic, magnetized rocks. These magnetic stone figures were possibly related to an ancient ancestor cult and the projection of power some 2,000 years ago. An ancient people who belonged to the Monte Alto culture made massive human sculptures on what is now Guatemala's Pacific coastline. This culture is believed to be very old and even predates the Maya and Olmecs. The culture, is named after a, the culture is named after a site in Monte Alto and is believed to have been first inhabited over 3,800 years ago. The people these, of these cultures made remarkable sculptures with one style known as potbelly sculptures. So they look like the, the Venus statues. They're enormously fat. Yeah. They represent a human head on top of a rounded body and they have been formed from basalt boulders. They can stand six feet high or two meters and weigh over 10,000 kilograms or more, reports Science News. According to Science Direct, they, quote, may have represented the ancestors of the ruling class and given physical form to their heredity-based claim on power. Some argue that these monumental figures were used to demarcate territory or even for astronomical purposes. The team from Harvard, including Roger Fu, examined 11 large sculptures that were excavated at the Monte Alto site that are now on display in a plaza at the small town of La Democracia near Guatemala's Pacific coast, according to Live Science. The researchers wanted to determine if a 1997 report that the figures had emitted magnetic fields was accurate, and they checked a sample of 11 of the sculptures. Archaeological News Network reports that with a handheld sensor, they precisely mapped magnetic fields on two head and two body sculptures. The team also established that there were magnetic fields over the right ch temple, the cheeks, forehead, and around the belly button of at least six of the other figures in the study. Whoa. Like purposeful yeah. areas, seems like. According to Science Direct, the evidence suggests that ancient sculptures knew how to detect magnetism and that they had selected magnetic boulders to highlight these parts of the body. <clears throat> Significantly, these magnetic fields are on parts of the human anatomy that were held to be of particular cultural and spiritual importance in Mesoamerican cultures. By magnetizing the parts of the bodies of ancestors, Archaeology News Network's quotes art historian Julia Gernesey, who states that the local elites could demonstrate the presence and authority of deceased ancestors in rapidly expanding societies. 
This could have been used to legitimize the authority of the ruling class during periods of change or unrest. The ancient Mesoamericans are believed to have been the first to detect and understand magnetism. The Olmecs magnetized many figures, and they possibly were influenced by the partially magnetized potbelly figures of the Monte Alto culture. According to Curiosmos, uh, Mesoamerican cultures were making magnetism part of their construction centuries before the Greeks introduced it to the world. The researchers then thought, sought to understand how the sculptors were able to use magnetized rocks and how they became to be magnetized. Based on the Harvard team's research, it seems that at least four were originally magnetized by lightning strikes, predating the carving process, according to the Journal of Archaeological Science. It seems that the sculptors from 2,000 years ago were able to detect these lightning-magnetized rocks and with great skill were able to carve them in such a way that the finished figure's navel or brow was magnetic. However, the lightning strike hypothesis does not explain why other potbelly figures have magnetic fields. There is the real possibility that the creators had the cap capability to identify magnetic elements within rocks. Such a finding would indicate how sophisticated the people of the Monte Alto culture were during the late Mesoamerica classical period. The evidence seems to offer convincing proof of early Native American society's appreciation of magnetism, providing some insights into the very important but still enigmatic Monte Alto civilization. So here's my question. That's the end of the article. Great one from uh, ancient-origins.net. Here's my problem. <clears throat> Without iron, how do you freaking know that there's a magnet there? Uh, I don't know. Mercury, <laughs> gold, <laughs> in very small bits. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, so, so there. I mean, there's a there's. <clears throat> how do you tell? Yeah. There's a lot of ways to. I mean, a lot of things are magnetic, other than iron, but they're just like very, what? very, very slightly. Yeah. So, how do you tell? That's what I, I mean. Don't know. You know, like, so they're, they're saying, okay, so maybe lightning struck some of these. Maybe they were already magnetic somehow. They're basalt, so they're, they're abyssal. Uh, they're like a granite, like, igneous rock, right? So they could have magnetic parts. But being a, quote-unquote, Stone Age culture with no metals, how are you doing this? Well, that's, yeah. That's my point. That's already well, assuming that they were carving the stones with other stones like that they didn't have metals to begin with right right that's my point is that i'm i'm attacking this from the perspective of the standard model right yeah. their perspective is these people they had gold because they could hammer it they had some copper but how do you freaking tell if something is a magnet well if you had another magnet <laughs> <laughs> and then you rub the two magnets together <laughs> <laughs> yeah, iron's the easiest way. <laughs> but I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think that, I mean, if it was, first of all, they're saying the objects are 2,000 years old. How do they know? Right. And then they're saying this civilization predated the Olmecs 3,000 years ago. Yeah. Like, that doesn't seem right to me already. Right. And you look at the Olmec heads, which are clear and beautiful, and these sculptures look so much older than those, and they're made out of the same kind of basaltic rock. But yeah, your point is a good point. How do they detect magnets if they didn't have magnets? 
or iron. Right. And if you do have a magnet, how do you know that it's a magnet? Like, let's Without say that iron. Yeah. Well, let's say that you just had a, a lodestone or whatever, like a, a rock that's magnetic. How do you freaking know that it's magnetic if you don't have any other metal that's magnetic? Yeah, that's a good point. So what? You're just like you got your lodestone that you carry around for for some reason because it's a rock. I'm racking my brain because I know there's some other way, but I can't think of it. So there is some other way. Yeah, I would assume so. But I think that I know of another way. I just can't think right now. Well, I mean, like, I guess I'm, that's what I'm saying. You have to have some kind of magnetic or magnetic uh, attractive metal that isn't like mercury is just not enough, right? Gold. They both are magnetically. They, yeah, yeah. They're just, it's they just, so you, you can't so tell. that you're not going to notice a pull or right. it's not going to stick to you it. You can't tell. Right. So yeah. my my implication with the question is that they were more advanced than we think they were. Yeah. Or that the standard model gives them. No, I get, I get that. I was just thinking that there are other effects that a magnet, that magnets, you know, create or have effects on other things in other ways that are not just like two objects sticking together. Yeah. But I'm not. Anyway, I don't know. Like Can some I, more subtle effect is what yeah, you're talking yeah, yeah. about. I mean, they do, right? Like, yeah, they do. Like, obviously, they have there. There's other effects, but nothing that you would detect visually, right? Or I mean, you can drag a, it. You can drag a lodestone down the beach, and it'll eventually pick, pick up, up a bunch some, of little iron filaments, right. right? But that's not these giant boulders that they were carving, right? The thing that was getting me was that, like, well, they're already suggesting <laughs> that the that the rock can be magnetized by a lightning strike. So what's to say that they didn't magnetize the rocks using electricity? Yeah, good point. To make the areas that they wanted to be magnetized, magnetized. And then why would you want those areas to be magnetized? Right? Like <laughs> there's some other purpose. Like uh, perhaps because they weren't, that they didn't are only know about magnets because iron sticks to it. Like, if, if that was the only thing that they understood about magnetism, why would they care to make the belly button magnetic and the temples magnetic? Right. Like and that was my other question on this was, like, they were saying, so perhaps they use this property to prove that the answer to that power. I'm like, with what? Yeah, exactly. But That's what, what I'm saying. I mean, they don't have iron. What? How are they showing people that, look, our ancient ancestors that are carved into this rock can hold metal to their... They don't have any metal that'll do it. That's, that's one of the reasons why your question just totally caught me off guard. Because I was already... I was already... Like, the whole time you're reading the story, I'm thinking, they made those parts magnetic. Yeah. And for what reason is what I'm wanting to know. Because it's... If they were... So, see, ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens often when we do this. I will bring up something and I'm like, I've got this like freaking bombshell question at the end. I'm like, bam. And Kyle's like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> and he's already way beyond all that and thinking about more, much more subtle energies and getting more complex. And I'm like, but they didn't have magnets. <laughs> they didn't have iron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, you're arguing the standard modelist, which I am not one of those. Yeah. But yeah, it's a great question. You know, for the standard model, like how do they even know that they were magnets? Right, it's a great question. And if your theory is that they were using it to demonstrate the power of the ancestors, with what were they demonstrating right. that power? How did they know that the power was there? How are they showing people that the ancestors have power in this carving? Right. But the other thing I thought of was the chakras, like yeah, the chakras. Yeah. You know, the navel and the temple and out of the throat or what? I don't know where they are. Is 
Yeah. Somebody's going to get mad at me. Up the spine, basically. Yeah. And they start at your ass and at the top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> Starts the ass chakra and then ends with the crown. I don't know what the one. The, it's not the ass chakra, but that's what I call it. <laughs> but yeah, it's like they're... To me, it seems like they had... They already understood something about magnetism or the effects that it had that was... You know, one of the subtle effects that most of us don't even pay attention to. Yeah. And they were designing these. and Like, I don't think they were going around like, oh, this one has magnetism in these perfect proportions so that I can make a statue. That just seems ridiculous to me. Yeah. Even if they did have iron. Yeah. You start out with a massive boulder and you're like, tink, okay, there's magnetism right there. And <laughs> drag, 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 tink, okay, there's magnetism right there. So that's the navel. Those are going to be the temples right, up there. Right, so they somewhere. have to be really fat. And they start, <laughs> yeah, they start chipping it away. How do they know where the magnetism is? Orient, yeah, is, originates. Yeah. <sighs> that's a good point. Birds home in on magnetism and that's how they migrate. They have something in their yeah. brain. Yeah, they got little something thingies in their brains that detect subtle but, magnetism. But all, all, well, a lot of species have that, like the migration ability. But even, even you know, people and other mammals have internal compasses. In some, I don't have one, <laughs> but a lot of people do. They always know which direction they're facing, just intuitively, not intuitively, but there's something in their ma- brains that tells them. <laughs> 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 they were the verse, they were reverse scarecrows, is what the watcher says, because they screwed up the magnetic field and then the birds all showed up there. <laughs> so they could just eat birds. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and they made bird flaps for their butts. <laughs> yeah, so my 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 point with those kind of stories is I always start out from the standard model perspective and say, wait a minute. Holes. You have holes in your. Yeah. You know. You're right. Your question is the is the most simple to get to the point. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I was I was just moving on to create. Yeah. You're already assuming it. that they're advanced, and you're like, how could they have magnetized the rocks of the city? <laughs> they and must I'm like, have had wait the a minute. Power of lightning. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. This used to happen to us all the time. I'd come down here and I'd read something, and then I'd be like, so blah 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 blah, and Kyle's like, no, uh, no. It's like, uh, and then he goes off in this big thing, and then I don't understand what the hell he's talking about. And when we get into this enormous fight, and finally we figured out it's because I'm starting from the standard model perspective, and he's like, I don't even think about that. It's dumb. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're thinking about how you can shred somebody on the, on the chats. <laughs> This is true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so yeah, if anybody goes and finds that article at Ancient Origins, there are pictures of the statues in there, and they will probably see me shredding people in the chats at the bottom. Because I am definitely going to post those <laughs> questions. How in the f? See, Brenner is is kind of like a, a combination of both of us. Like he gets straight to the point, but also not on the standard model. Right. So he's just like, um, shimmer, shimmer. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right those are my stories for today that's that's a really good one so well the original point was there there were uh 
whisperings about the rocks at Pumapunku being yes. magnetic. Right. Yeah. Obviously, everybody's electronic devices aren't being wiped or sticking to them, but right, you know, they're they're slightly magnetic. But I've seen videos some... of people sticking metal to oh, okay, or even powerful magnets. Right, powerful magnets stick to it. So that's the point. Is like that makes me be less skeptical of those stories. Right, because I was like, how can a I've never heard of a rock like granite or diorite being you know, a magnet. Um, but apparently this does happen. But if those... And now there's a Harvard study showing that there are these Mesoamerican statues that had the property built into them, yeah. however that happened. So now I'm, I'm, I'm much more positive about the idea that there are some of those enormous blocks at Pumapunku that are scattered around all over the place that I've seen. Lithomagnetism? I've, yeah. What is the... Like if a lightning strike can make basalt magnetic what is going on right yeah like it's alignment of crystals Crystalline, or something yeah i don't know weird uh yeah this, god i need to know more about magnets fucking <laughs> <laughs> okay, magnets. every time i start thinking about <laughs> how <magnets>, they work <laughs> just like i need to know more about these things <laughs> or about this phenomenon yeah. Cuz that like like what Feynman says is that magnetism is everything. Right. I mean, that's it's <laughs> the reason why we're not just like falling apart. It's the reason why yeah. we're able to sit on this on these chairs. Yeah. It's what's holding the chair together, it's what's holding our bodies together and keeping us from falling through the chair. Right. It's all ma it's, and it's, it's what gives the appearance of things being solid. Right. Yeah. Cuz it's every you're encountering the feel the atoms in your body are encountering the field of the atoms of the other one other objects right. and so you feel that as touching it but you're not really yep because the electrical charges of the of the particles have fields like magnetic fields basically yeah and they repel each other or attract each other so, so it's, it, it's so you can if you can align Crystals, like crystals basically are the, you know, these atoms lined up together. And if they're, if they're lined up in certain ways, they can just become magnetic. Uh, they focus all of the, like, quote unquote, right. electrons, some whatever, kind of alignment in, into, that yeah, it's aligned to where they can actually travel in a larger pattern. Yeah. Than just like whirling around each one of their nuclei. Yeah. They align so that they can all whirl around the larger set of nuclei. And so if you keep building that up, it gets bigger and bigger, more powerful, more and more electrons. Yeah. And then you have a noticeable magnetic field. Yeah. In the macro, I think. So lightning can do this. Yeah. Hell yes. Yeah, um, so watch I'm going to tie a rock to a kite <laughs> <laughs> in a thunderstorm. Roger says granite and diorite contain quartz and other crystals all throughout them, and they are essentially isolated from each other. Maybe lightning has enough charge to jump the rock insulator and charge the crystals polarizing them, and after that they are stuck in that position. How can you roll on the floor laughing in a space station? <laughs> <laughs> It's it's R O T S L rolling in rolling on the space laughing <laughs> rolling in space laughing <laughs> yeah R E S 
R I S L. R I S L. Rolling in space, laughing. <laughs> spinning, spinning in space, laughing. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's break time. Okay. <laughs> we'll be right back with some more magnets and snakes. of the Serpent Podcast. Nephas? Nephas? <laughs> it's going to say the Institute for Copperlight Studies. Something like that. <laughs> no degrees. Yeah, dude. Uh, I was looking at the, the book that... Who says this? Patrick. Book? Patrick. Thanks for that book. Yeah. So I just went through and looked at all the pictures <laughs> and it's, it's all the, it's full of, um, you know, diagrams and drawings of the mounds and earthworks that were discovered in America. Wow. And, uh, they are freaking mind blowing. I mean, there's some drawings that are just, you know, they're like a, a plot yeah. or a plat whatever you would call it. So it's got, you know, it's just like looking top down map and it shows you just the, the basic designs of the earthworks. And then there's other drawings that are actual, like some artists sat down in a spot and drew the, the area as it looked way, way back, you know, yeah. Before there were photographs and there's one that they built like a road through, you know, there's just this, this wagon road or trail or whatever going through, but you know, through the middle of the earthworks, but the earthworks have channels that you can walk into without going up onto the mounds. Oh. And I mean, they're just enormous, like super steep and there's trees growing all over them and everything. And they're just massive. And, and you're looking at this tiny little wagon road going into this thing. And then you see the top down view of the entire design and it's just freaking huge. And some of them are like cover like the there. It's like a circle, and inside the area of the circle is like fifty something acres. Wow! But the curvature of this circular earthwork that's basically like a berm, you know, a yeah, twenty thirty foot tall berm or whatever that goes around in this circle. I mean, it's just perfect. It's like they drew it with a compass. Wow. On the ground. And and it's broken into segments, like the, the, the line of the earthwork goes around in this curve and it's segmented so that there's areas where it's just level ground. Holy crap. And the segments have like these strange patterns. <clears throat> so where where there's breaks in the line, they're they're regular in a way. Like there'll be three that have different length line segments. Yeah. And then you'll see it repeated somewhere else on the circle. But it's it's not like a complete circle. Like two, like if you start drawing a circle from the top, uh, in two directions and going down, there's a river, 
like in this on the bottom that the two edges of the circle before they meet hit some part of the mm-hmm. river and they're doing this on purpose right like yeah. the, they intentionally weren't doing full circles yeah so many of them are like that but then there's some that or are else just the river moved into it over time or something but the it's like the earth yeah maybe and then they fixed it or something but the earthwork like ends it's like nice and it's oh. you know what i'm saying yeah like, like it's, it's intentional, yeah. Yeah, it looks like it. And they're, Rather than you know, being on top of cliffs, yeah. But then there's other ones that are just a circle, and then next to it is a square. And they're so similar all over the whole valley. This circle next to a square. I mean, they're they're right on top of each other, and the squares all have little mounds. In the four corners, inside the four corners, there's a mound on each corner. And then in the midway section of each side of the square is a mound. Mm. On an, and in each corner and in each midway of the line, there's a break in the earthwork of, that makes the square. So it's like it's like if you drew a square and then erased the corners and erased the midsection of each line. Yeah. And then drew a dot. Wow. In Inside. And I'm just like, and their orientations are all different, but that, you know, right next to it is this circle thing that also has breaks in the line. And I'm just like, dude, there is something going on here. Yeah. Like there is, there's a reason for this. Right. Like, there's something important about this design. Yeah. Like that you can stand on this mound or something. I don't know what, you know, if you're in the corner. Yeah. I can't, I, I haven't thought of it, but I'm just like, <laughs> there's a reason why they're doing this. And of course there is, but I'm thinking that the reason is, you know, something more along the lines of like, uh, you know, technology. Yeah. Like this was some way of doing something so that you could learn things or so that you could observe <laughs> things properly or yeah, perhaps channel energy or, so, you know, some, something subtle. Yeah. That's scientific in nature as opposed to, you know, a strange set of just random beliefs that you made up. Right. Right. I think that there's a definite reason for this and this just the similarities all across. And like some of the squares are like where they're broken in the midsections of each side of the square. It's actually kind of tilted out. So it's more like a hexagon, but not a perfect one or whatever. Or an octagon, I'm sorry. Okay. It's just they're slightly skewed so that there's like if you were if you were trying to turn a square into an octagon, yeah. you're just like part of the way there, right? <laughs> <laughs> they never go inward. They never turn into a star. Right. It's never turning into a star. They're always slightly bulging outward or they're a perfect square. Hmm. And the circles are like unbelievably perfect uh, just like they drew i don't even understand how i could do this today like if we took the instrument our, our transit out on the property and we tried to make a circle an earthwork circle fi- with the covered 50 acres yeah inside it how would we mark the what tool yeah. would we use to keep ourselves on the right curve like you can imagine you get this you put a nail in the ground and you have a really long, long string, string right? <laughs> and you're and you're just holding that you're holding that measuring rod out there and moving the string along. Well, yeah. if there's hills or if there's right, yeah. trees or, or anything in the way, everything. Yeah. 
You have to, yeah, you have to completely flatten the area. Yeah. And then you would have to have some type of material that you could take 20 acres away. Yeah. You know? Yep. I was joking. Like, giant compass. Obviously, that's, you can't, because the yeah. wind will. I mean, we were, we were laying out a grid on the ground, just basically putting a dot where every line of the grid would intersect. You know, a flag or a, 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 an X painted on the ground. Um, and the grid was uh, 600 feet by 300 feet. Yeah. Right? Which covered what? What did we say? It was like six acres maybe. Yeah, something like that. Right. And that was really hard. Like the, the 300 feet side was a little bit easier. You yeah. know, we could, we could pull. We had a 300-foot tape. Yeah. So we could pull that. But trying to hold that tape up in the air on a flat field that's got any kind of breeze. Yeah. The it's tape just bows. going crazy. Yeah. So you're imagining like trying to pull that tape tight and and go in a circle and somehow mark a line that you're then later going to build some massive earthwork in this perfect curve. Yeah. And that's only 300 feet. Even at 600 feet, you're still looking at maybe 13 acres or something. Yeah. Well, I guess a 600 feet circle that would be uh, uh, radius would be a lot bigger. So I don't know actually what the linear feet, you know, radius of those of the fifty something acre circle is, but that's it's just huge. And how perfectly it curves, I'm just like, I mean, I guess <laughs> impasse shapes. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I guess you could figure out a way to. I don't know if this would work, but you could lash sticks. Like you could get a bunch. You get sticks basically. You know, of some respectable maybe say three inches thick <clears throat> and you kind of make them smooth or whatever. You just sort of cut all the branches off of them. You get long ones and then you just sort of lash them together into this enormously long pole. And then you have somebody control the, the, the center and then somebody out at the end is just, right. Know, just moving it. Yeah. No, that's, that's for but sure. But still you'd have problems that would be bendy and you can't, I mean, nothing, anything that long is going to happen. But it would still make it pretty good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, at least for your markings. Right. Because then when you start building this massive pile of earth and you're piling it up and piling it up, like you have to cut that interior edge and exterior edge. Right. You have to keep, once you get the mound there, how do you keep the outside edge the same thickness? Yeah. When you can't measure through the mound. Right. Yeah. You have to measure over That's the mound. That's why they had slots. <laughs> <laughs> they had slots to check. Yeah. Dude, it's just, oh man, this book is fantastic. And... I think there's a there's a serious secret to be yeah. discovered there. In these repeated shapes, like yeah. this, you know, uh, Graham talked in his book about the squaring of the circle. Yeah. You know, the, the idea that you're, I guess you're using a, I didn't, I didn't get the way he was trying to explain it in the book. I thought the squaring of the circle was that you're trying to turn the circumference of a circle into a square. Yeah. So measuring the full circumference of it, you make a square out of that linear distance or that linear length. So you divide the that length by four, by four, and you make a square out of that. I thought that was the squaring of the circle. Um, because he was saying that it was like you're putting the circle fitted inside the square. I think is what he was saying, where it touches the sides yeah. of the square. I didn't right, because you that square was the right. circle using the radius of the circle, you or the diameter becomes the. Yeah, I didn't think that was right. Yeah. So basically the radius of any circle, you 
or the di- I guess the radius times two or the diameter of the circle becomes each side of the square. And that results yeah. in a circle. Because that's end. easy. It's much harder to turn the circumference of a circle into a square. Right. That's what I thought the squaring of the circle right, was. Right, because it's hard to measure a circle if you don't know about pi. Exactly. Yeah. The other way is easy. You can yeah. measure the diameter of a circle easy and make a square out of that. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's what they were doing. I don't think they were just make, you know, I don't know. Not sure if these drawings are all perfect to scale, to scale and everything. But. Yeah. So, aside from that, it's just interesting that they they paired these two shapes all the time, the square and the circle. So, in that sense, it does sort of point to sacred geometry. Oh, it's the same area. The challenge of ah. con- challenge of squaring the circle is a problem proposed by ancient geometers. Constructing a square with the same internal area as a given circle. Using only a finite number of steps with that's, a compass and a straight edge. That's what it was then. See, look. Yes. So it sticks off the sides and goes inside the corners. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you have to but make it's the, not the same. You have to make the internal area of the square be the same internal area as the circle has. And, and it's that's not ha- the same circumference. Right. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That's even way better. Yeah. Because I think that's what they're doing. The they have a circle. So they're showing methods here. They have a circle and then they have a square and. Each one has the same size acreage inside it. Yeah. So they're showing the method here. You use the radius at one degree, and then you turn the radius 90 degree, right? And then that's that's the that's the length of one half corner of your square. And then you basically you, you flip that over multiple times, and you end up with the square. Oh, okay. I think that's what this is showing. Could be wrong. Anyway... Randall Carlson knows how to do it, <laughs> and he's going to teach us. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing him. Uh, that's one of the things he does in his. Uh, he used to do those uh, sacred geometry classes or whatever. Oh, okay. It was pr- in 1882. It was proven that this cannot be constructed with a finite number of steps with an idealized compass and straight edge. So you can't do it. You can't do it with freaking awesome. But I know Randall knows Apparent how. partial solutions gave false hope for a long time. But they eventually proved that they weren't solutions. Uh, okay, it may be taken to ask whether specific, specified axioms of Euclidean geometry concerning the existence of lines and circles entail the existence of such a square. <laughs> In 1882, the task was proven to be impossible. And as a consequence, the Lindemann... Uh, wire stress theorem, which proves that pi is a transcendental rather than algebraic irrational number. That is, it is not the root of any pol- polynomial with rational coefficients. It has been known for some decades before then that the construction would be impossible if pi were transcendental, but pi was not proven transcendental until 1882. Approximate squaring to any given non-perfect accuracy and contrast is possible in a finite number of steps since there are rational numbers arbitrarily close to pi. The expression squaring the circle is sometimes used as a metaphor for trying to do the impossible. Uh-huh. The term quadrature of the circle is sometimes used to mean the same thing as squaring the circle, but may also refer to approximate or numerical methods for finding the area of a circle. So it's actually an impossible thing to do with a without using with a, higher math. With a square and a compass. Yeah. <clears throat> Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> So they were impossible shapes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure what the, that's what they were trying to do. Was They were trying to square the circle. Yeah. I think so. But there's a whole bunch of them, and I don't know if they're all 
if if the area inside each one. But we could go get the book. Yeah, uh, it's inside. Hmm. Um, and it shows it's they measured the acreage on the insides of oh, these yeah. earthworks, and they show you what the different. So some of them, like I was saying, there will be this massive circle. Yeah, that's not even complete. It's just like you know two parts of it are touching a river. Yeah, and then nearby there's a square with the broken line segments and the mounds inside. Yeah. All the squares have the broken line segments in the same places and mounds right inside each one of those broken line segments. So you think they may be actually demonstrating some sort of geometric understanding that we don't know yet? Uh, yeah. Something. Like there's something. Like there's a reason why they're broken like that. Oh, yeah. Wait, yeah. yeah. And then the and then like I was saying, in some of the lines of the circles, like this the the one that was the biggest freaking circle that, that blew my mind. I was just like, how did they make this curve so perfectly? Yeah. It, it was broken into segments that they kind of looked regular, but then you notice, like, wait a minute, that one's a little longer, and this one's, and then you see that pattern again over here, and you're just like, okay, they did that on purpose. Yeah, you know, this, like, what is going on here? <laughs> something, you're something like they got like, that wrong. Oh, wait, that pattern's repeated. Oh, okay. And like, okay, if they, if, if it was just like, hey, uh, so we know some sacred geometry, and the world just got destroyed, so let's build these massive things that are going to teach the future about geometry. Yeah, fail. <laughs> exactly. So that it, I'm thinking like that can't be what they were doing. Maybe it was, but I think there's something. Or maybe they were trying to learn it. Or, or like you said, there's it's some that scientific amount of work. Purpose. I mean, come on. There's so much work involved in yeah. moving that dirt. Yeah, makes you really fucking learn it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know how difficult it is to get a crew of people to all, you know, yeah. work on something and and make it all the same. With everybody working towards the same level of precision. Yeah. Like, you have a level of precision in mind. Somebody else has a different one, and you're just like, no, yeah. no Johnson. <laughs> Don't put the shovel of dirt right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's... That's why so many jobs are just one man jobs. You know, it's just like, it's like, why don't you go do that job? Yeah. And then... You know, there's there's a uniform level of precision for that job. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so this division of labor happened because Johnsons. <laughs> <laughs> but it takes a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of planning and oversight, and um, management to get a large workforce to work towards this common goal with a specific level of precision in mind. Yeah. Yeah, so I, at first I was thinking astronomical, but you're right. I mean, I guess if they're, you know, they're all over the place. But I, get, I don't know. I guess you would look at, you could look at, um, I mean, it's not the same really, but you look at any given scientific instrument now, and even though they're slightly different, they all have the same overall shape. So that's the idea of a right that it's a scientific thing in some yeah. nature in some some given way. Yeah, they're slightly different in some, and I'm not so saying like you look they're at not telescopes. Right, I'm not saying they're not astronomical. Like they could be, and they could be oriented towards different specific. Because that's what I was thinking specific. when I'm thinking of like if you're standing in the middle and there are these deep slots that go through to the horizon, yes. then you're you've got astronomical viewing platforms basically. Right. Yeah. And then they're dividing those into quadrants so yeah. that you can also go look that way. You can look diagonally. You can right whatever. But it's weird because you're thinking about standing in that trough, but there's a huge mound in front of it. Oh, okay. 
Like wherever the break in the line is, there's a mound. Oh. Hmm. It's hmm. just, dude, these things. Mounds are built later. <laughs> in every single one, you know. Yeah. The same way. It's just, it's just weird. Well, think about that, right? You, the, the mounds are where the bur- burials are. So you find these ancient structures, and then you put your burial mounds in the, in the slots. And, I mean, I don't Cause know. Because you don't understand what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. But you know that they're associated with the ancients. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because in, in, in a lot of the circles where the gaps are, there's not, there's not interior mounds. Right. So the circles are different. And hinges are circular all over. And then the world. there's some that just, I mean, there's just all oh, these great. I mean, you see this the square and the circle thing all over the place, right? And then there's a site that has the square and the circle thing here. But then there's like these long straight lines over here that are parallel, and then they curve down and do something else. And then there's a half circle, and then there's some other pieces of stuff and weird squigglies over there. And, <laughs> and then in another place, all there is is the square and the circle. Huh. And it's just, I mean, it's like. It's it's totally mind blowing, and we're so close. We gotta go. Yeah, we should do a a, a, a freaking mound builder earthworks tour. Yeah, I'm totally down for that. <laughs> Let's just go drive around and check them all out. Just go go walk on them. Go stand in there and see what. The so hell I'm is thinking going if they're, they're in Mississippi Valley. That's your flood area. What if that's what it was? You just were building these. Mound areas, and that's where you put all your fucking your houses for your village. I mean, even if it's that simple, and so then even a flood, it, the water rises up, and you're just you're out of the water no matter what. Could it have been that? Are they big enough for that? I don't know. So then your long parallel lines is like that's the suburb of the this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you got the the circle of the square is downtown, and then they, they made these long lines and the squigglies, and that's the suburb. It's got all these shotgun houses on top of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just weird that they would make them all. The same shapes yeah. or similar shapes. I don't know. Unless there was central planning involved. Yeah. Still, it's like. And even, I mean, central planning in the form of, you know, Viracocha stories or something. You know, like everything down in Peru is a puma. Yeah. It could be that. I don't know. There's always something more. Even if it was used for that. So. It would be interesting if there was like periodic flooding and they built them so that they could stand up on like the high hills when the flood came and all their designs were just like sticking out. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) But I don't know. I I mean, I I would assume that floods would just destroy Earth and mounds. So. There can't be serious flooding there. Yeah. It's not like the Nile. Right. But whatever it is, I think there's serious secrets to the actual shapes themselves. And that they correlate with the ones being found in the Amazon, the giant square and circle geoglyphs being found down there. Yeah. <clears throat> when people are people are clearing for doing ranching or farming or whatever, and then they find these enormous Yeah. And they, down there, they call them geoglyphs. That's what they are here, too. They're basically they're the same thing. Yeah. Raised earthworks hidden beneath the jungle. Not apparent until you clear all that stuff out of there. Yeah, it just blows me away. There's just something 
totally alien about that type of work. Like, it, I don't know why it stands out to me being different than, say, the pyramids or whatever, but just piling up dirt. You know, they're... Uh, but in some cases, they were reinforced with some kind of concrete, too. Yeah. And in other cases, there's, like, entire longhouses underneath them. That's yeah. weird to me. Like, you build an enormous longhouse, basically, you know, huge rafters and gigantic poles, you know, p columns made of wood or whatever. You put a roof on it, and then you bury the entire thing in an enormous earthenwork mound. That's yeah. Gobekli Tepe-ish to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. Uh, it's like the the crazy amount of them, like how how many tens of thousands of these earthworks there yeah. were. And when you start to see the regularity and the shapes. Uh, it's like dolmens. They're doing something. They're doing something. Yeah. They're all basically like they all have different forms, but in 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 basic form, they they are very similar, and we have no idea what they were for. Yeah, and there's ninety thousand of them or something like that. And there, yeah, and there's something about these illustrations that are just haunting to me. Like I don't know what it is. It's like <laughs> it's so freaking. Weird, and I don't understand what it is or why they would do this. And it's like, you know, what did they know? Yeah. Without, like, the, you know, without the technology of those further south, you know, they weren't carving massive stones into yeah crazy shit. They they didn't do it like like over in Egypt. They didn't cut. You know, t massive quarries and yeah, and stack these. You know, polish these rocks and cut them up with all precision and all this crazy stuff. So it was like a totally different. It's this totally different thing. You're just moving dirt. Yeah, and maybe there's some sophistication to it in terms of like hardening the dirt and the specific way you might layer it and whatnot right. to make it hold its form. So yes, there's there's uh, in terms of you know. Construction technology. There's there's something and they're astronomical. Said. A lot of them are astronomical in the sense that they're cardinally di directed. The yeah. sides are the sides of the square face north, south, east, and west to the cardinal points, not magnetic. Yeah. So that's astronomy. You have to have yeah. it to do that. And then there's some that are just skewed, and others that are just more or less. And so yeah, there's probably astronomy going on too. I mean, it's just so. The, so the technology is inherent in the surveying and the layout. Just. By that, like, just just say we don't know what they were doing with them, but we can already say that they're more advanced than we thought. They weren't just guys chipping out arrowheads and hunting. Yeah. Like, but it's weird to have this sort of whatever. To me, it speaks to a profound understanding about something in nature that maybe we don't have, or maybe we have gained through some completely different, yeah, way, right. And so it's like you have these two they're they're chipping stones for tools and stuff, but they're also doing this other thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just is it's just you find those to be uh unlikely to be combined. 
I remember when I said that spears and butt flaps and pyramids and you were like, no, <laughs> those don't go together. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, it just, just doesn't don't... seem like nomadic people building nomadic type tools it of seems... Stone Age thing doesn't build giant earthworks. Yeah, it seems more like survivors of cataclysm do something with the only thing that, with the only tools that they have at hand. Yeah. To. Uh, because they knew something, but. Like they're making protective places or something like that. Like those shapes result in. Hell, I don't know. <laughs> That's why it's so, it's such a profound mystery to me. I have no idea. But I do think there's, there's most likely astronomy involved. Right. But there's there also this, there's, there's also this crazy geometry and stuff. Yeah. And, but why massive earthworks? I mean, you can illustrate geometry in, in a carving into a stone. Yeah. You know, you could illustrate all of that geometry by taking a piece of granite into your hut <laughs> and carving it by yourself. You don't need a workforce of like thousands of people. Okay. I see what you mean. For years and years and years and years of like hard labor. It's the power plant conundrum again. Like, you, yeah. That the, there has to be some kind of. Gain, gain from this from, a, is... from a large group of people. Otherwise, they're not going. They're going to be like, "We're not doing that work, Johnson." Yeah. No, we just we just quote unquote discovered farming, and that's already hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really freaking hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially without John Deere. Yeah. So, <laughs> by the way, uh, just speaking of farming, I just came across an in interesting nugget. Uh, earlier, I think it was yesterday, maybe. Um, I'm going to have to paraphrase it because I can't remember it directly. But basically, it was about the... <clears throat> and we've talked about this before, about the whole thing with grains and how they suddenly became domestic crop things from grasses. There was this supposed hybridization of these two very specific grains out of thousands of grass gra grainy grasses that are found all over the world. There were two specific ones that they hybridized that were the after hybridization were fertile. Who did this? No one knows. Where? Uh, it was in the uh, Turkey ish. Turkey, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. I was checking. We're, I not, was just, we're uh, not still here in the Americas. No, no, no. no. Okay. So this is the point of the point of though is that is that geneticists have looked at this and said, how did this happen? It you know, archaeology describes it as being serendipitous. It was just like, well, it was a happy accident. Yeah, of course. You know, but we have entire companies and full of scientists trying to do this today, and they they have to do all kinds of splicing and stuff, and they still don't get viable, uh, fertile crops. You get right. crops, but they're not; they can't reseed themselves. Yeah. So somebody, you know, freaking ten thousand BC or whatever, just happened to magically find the two exact kind of grains that they could merge together and make a viable crop that was also fertile. <laughs> I just like, it's one thing to think of. I know this is a little bit off topic, but I could take this tree branch, cut a hole in this other tree and stick that tree branch in there <laughs> and get a hybrid. <laughs> but to do this with grass, <laughs> it just seems really hard. <laughs> I 
I mean, like, if the wind blows, your entire experiment is, is done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it seems hard. Yeah. And no one looks, at least I don't, ever look at, like, the little, little tiny freaking crop heads on grass, and I'm like, that looks yummy. <laughs> And then pick it and try chewing it. Maybe I should try it. I mean, this is why the 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 typical you know farmer icon is like the guy with the straw hat, and he's like <laughs> he's chewing got, on something. He's got the piece of yeah. It's like every, everywhere you go, you see something new. And you're like, hmm, I'm gonna chunk it out. See how it, see how it turned him a could. See what happened after a bit. <laughs> let me you, got, you got a testament. Let me chew on this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, that was a kind of an aside, but the, I thought that was fascinating that there was just that, that people have actually been looking into this mystery and they're like, out of the thousands of grasses that people have been trying to combine and none of them have ever worked, there's this just magical serendipitous combination of by some unknown people at some point, 10,000 years, 10,000 years in the past or more that resulted in a viable hybrid that was crop sized that would grow these enormous heads of grain. That could feed entire populations of people through surplus. Yeah, that's that is that's not amazing. An accident. Anyway, we're gonna take a break. Come back for the final segment. I have stuff that I want to talk about that may you connect. Have <clears throat> well, I have some ideas that may connect actually to the stuff you're talking about with the mountains. So. Main thing about the mountains, though, is snakes. Change is too loud. So yeah, we're back. Final segment, final hour. The final snake down. <laughs> you have uh, so you have theories. I have an idea that I've been thinking about, and it may actually go along with what you were just struggling with with the mount. Okay. Let me hear, lay it on me. Uh, so. Let's start with um, the end of the music. <laughs> <laughs> Let's begin with the end of the music. Uh, I have not yet tried to articulate this to anyone, so I may not do a good job here. This Usually I've found with, with ideas that I have that I get better at t explaining them the more often I yeah. do it. And I've been like saving this one so i haven't said it to anybody yet so that's why be. that's why i keep telling the same ideas over and over <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> Sh uh, <shamir>. <laughs> <laughs> uh by the way i was gonna say one of our we just got a uh we just got another of uh, uh a review on itunes and somebody was like you guys are awesome Shamir for the win. That was their that was their <laughs> comment. <laughs> anyway, so I was thinking about different, um, I guess, what would you call it? Paths of understanding, right? And I think that in a lot of cases, the certain knowledge that we have can get in the way of other fundamental understandings about the same things. Uh, 
So I was thinking about this specifically in terms of, so let's, let's just <clears throat> imagine you're an ancient person, and this is pre any advanced civilization. So if there were ancient advanced civilizations before that, let's go all the way back, however far back that was, to when we didn't know shit about anything yet. There had been right, no there advancement. There had never been no advancement, advancement anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I like to do that <laughs> in my mind. So you have this sky every night that is is something you have no, you just have zero understanding of. Okay. Yeah. So in modern times, we look at the night sky and we think of stars and giant balls of fu flaming fuel or maybe you're an electric universe person and you think of enormous arcs of electricity and they're making giant balls of plasma or whatever it is but you have all this knowledge or not knowledge all of but this other all, all of these, these ideas other about ideas. what all that stuff is and you picture big circles of things orbiting other things and all this kind of right. stuff so before any of that you just look up there and you see dots in patterns and then one big bright thing at night and then during the day, one big bright thing that blo blocks out all the other bright things, right? But you wouldn't even know that, really, that it blocks all the Right. Other you wouldn't really know what was going on. Okay. Yeah. But let's say that you were that, you're that person. Now, try to, and I've been trying to do this in my mind. Like, just look at the night sky and just erase everything you think you know about what all that stuff is. Yep. Now, obviously, I haven't been able to do this because then the next part of the imagination, that the imagining along this line is, let's say that I somehow get the ability... Like, we're not advanced or whatever, but let's say that I'm the shaman or whatever, you know, that kind of person. I'm the the seer for the tribe or whatever it is, and I don't have to do the hunting and the making the food. They bring me food, and my job is to commune with the gods or whatever it is I'm supposed to do. So I have time to study the sky, but I don't have any idea what any of that stuff is. Okay. Inevitably, I would notice patterns. Like first, you know, the first thing you notice besides the moon and the sun itself are the wanderers, right? Yeah. The Greek word planet means wanderer. So the first thing you notice is some of those dots move around. Yeah. Right. In comparison takes, to the other dots. Takes a, yeah. The other dots never move. Like, right. or if they do, they all move as a group. Right. Okay. But these other ones move around in relative to the other dots. Yeah. But my point is, is that what I'm getting at really is that I wonder if there are other patterns not patterns of like uh, asterisms. In other words, wow, that one looks like a, like I see these bright stars and they're sort of in a group and I'm going to call that the Big Dipper or whatever. It's a cup with a handle on it. It's a ladle or something, right? Yeah. I don't mean those patterns. I mean like if you get rid of all of our modern materialist understanding or what we think we know about space and the stars and everything and then you really studied it, would you get some kind of other understanding that leads to like your like these geomantic shapes in the ground because of your things you're seeing in the heavens leads to the as above so below like in other words you, if you get rid of all the knowledge that we have that's in the way of seeing these bigger larger deeper patterns of movements or whatever kind of patterns they may be in the stars of something that you don't you have no idea what it is and yet there it is every night well not every night sometimes there's clouds but there it is all the time, right? And so you study it, and you're, are you trying to figure out what it is? What are you going to associate it with? There's just little dots in the sky, and they, they have, like, we're, uh, one thing I can say as humans is we're designed to see messages in stuff, right? You come, to, you're, you're walking along a canyon, 
and you're seeing all this rock all over the place. And then suddenly there's a flat spot where there's all these dots on it. You're going to be like, huh? Who the fuck did that? Right. You're going, <laughs> even if they have make no sense whatsoever, a bunch of dots on a flat surface, is going to make you look for a pattern. It's going to make you look for a significance. Mm. You can't not do it. Right. Even if the dots are natural. You're going to see it and be like, look how that looks like a, it's a kind of a duck or something, right? Yeah. Just these were pock marks in the side of the canyon. And everywhere else, the canyon, you see rock and you don't, but if you see a bunch of dots in the wall or whatever, you're going to ask, what is the significance of those dots? So every night, the night sky being full of these bright white dots is going to make you, it's going to make you try to understand them and, and, the way we've done it in modern times is try to understand the physics and like there's actually giant balls of fire that are freaking millions of light years away. But does that get in the way of actually seeing deeper, more uh, fundamental patterns in these things? Right. So another word, another one is the Milky Way. Right. And so you see in all these mythologies, the Milky Way is a river or it's a, it's the you know, they, they have all these terms for it because you see it and you're like, look how that's. You know, you wouldn't you probably wouldn't have any way of knowing that those are a bunch of stars that are really far away. You don't know that we're looking at a galaxy edge on like we think now. So what do you think it is? You know, so you see that and it slowly rolls across the sky. My point that I'm getting at <clears throat> is that. Does our modern technological understanding of things get in the way of us seeing more fundamental, deeper stuff? And I'm specifically applying this to, to astronomy because everyone sees the night sky. And of course, when there's no light pollution, it's like mind blowing. You go out into the high desert now and you wait, you know, you wait for the night sky and it, it can make it can it can like bring tears to your eyes. It's so freaking awesome. Yeah. So. What I'm what I'm wondering is, is if living in that way and studying it for a long time did you did, were they able to suddenly grasp certain things that we have totally missed in our modern age that resulted in them having a different uh track of understanding and and interacting with the world and the universe this seems obvious to me that this was this did take place i don't know if it had to do with astronomy but they're so focused on astronomy in so many cases right you see that they're astronomically aligned or whatever so they're obviously paying attention and then there becomes this like as above so below mythology and then they start to name all the shapes in the sky the asterisms or the, the constellations right or when you look up there you see that that's a, gr a, a, a group of bright stars and they are sort of together right there and we're going to give them a a name or whatever so you see that they were doing this but at the same time they're, you, you know, making the assumption that they didn't know that they were distant ball. They didn't know what they were, right? How would yeah. they know what they were? I'm talking, again, pre any kind of civil, advanced civilization. Right. So they come to some sort of understanding that gives them a leg up in their or, or puts them on a different track in their interaction with the universe itself because it shows them that, like, even if they did eventually grow a civilization that suddenly realized, like, wow, these are actually incredibly distant things and they're giant balls of, and they're just like our sun. They're just really far away. Even if they did suddenly eventually gain that understanding, you start out with this fundamental understanding of these deeper patterns and maybe that they are reflected on earth or in the cases where they're not reflected on earth, if you reflect them in some way on earth, that causes things to happen. I don't know what they <laughs> would be. Yeah. Yeah.
I like that train of thought. So I'm thinking, like the thing that sticks with me about what you're saying or that, that really jumped out to me was the the different path to understanding. Yeah. So there are multiple paths that you can take. And I think I'm actually listening to this Dean Radin book that you have. Yeah. On your Supernatural Kindle. Yeah. I don't even know what it's called. I was just like, oh, there's audio. Play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't started listening to it yet. <laughs> but anyway, the, this so the I'm getting some of this from from that book and I can't tell you exactly how or what, but it it's the idea of like the the spirit realm being also part of the universe. Yeah. Right. But the but not physical exactly not right it's it's indirectly correlated. that's what i mean it affects patterns and yeah. stuff like that this is why we have synchronicities and so on the one hand you it's like you have this this duality in nature and one of the the one side is the spirit the other side is the physical and you can deep dive into the physical and learn all these things about the physical but it's not going to give you the full picture yeah but you're moving towards the truth. Yeah. Right? Maybe. Well, you are. <laughs> like as you as you test and use the scientific method, you can you're backing towards the truth. Move towards the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, in the spiritual world, it's it would work the same way. Like you can start to pursue more spiritual things. You know, um I don't it's not not necessarily a scientific method for that, but contemplation, yeah, that type of stuff, experience, right? You know, um, I guess a sort of non-empirical knowing, yeah, yeah. So, like the idea of of being there and experiencing this without the physical knowing, you can start to test ideas in this in in this sort of like you know, the realm of consciousness or yeah. whatever. If, of course, if you're, if you have no scientific materialist, scientific know-how, then you do, there is still the principle of, I think therefore I am. So you're, you're aware of spirit. Yeah. Or you're aware of consciousness in some way. And you're aware that there are other beings that are conscious. And then there's all these things in nature around you that are conscious, seemingly conscious. They have eyes like you. They speak like you. You can't, no, there's nobody over there to tell you, oh, the animals actually can't talk, you know, <laughs> because they're all out there making noise. Yeah. Yeah. And they seem to know what each other are doing. Yeah. But there's no skirt tart over there being like, yeah, they're, they're not actually talking to each other. It's just, you know, it's just. <laughs> so like you'll start to get this idea that like okay look all of us we're we look alike you know and we're talking to each other and communicating with each other and communicating ideas there's all these other creatures over there that look alike the deer yeah and then the birds and the bugs and all this stuff and they're all making noises at each other and they all seem to work together and know what they're each other are doing so like yeah. there's nothing they to tell you. Fights, so there's nothing the to tell you that all of these things aren't intelligent and conscious. Yeah, you seem to be the only one that really needs to hammer on this rock with another <laughs> rock. 
everybody else seems to be getting along just fine without yeah. all that. They they came with all the tools they need. Yeah. You don't have like claws or <laughs> badass teeth or can't run really fast, can't fly, so you need a hammer on rock. <laughs> right. But where I'm going with this is that like there's nothing to tell you. There's no scurptards out there to tell you that the rocks themselves aren't also conscious and speaking to each other with a language and mm. that the grasses and the trees and the, the sky itself and the moon and the sun, these lights and all of the motions in the heavens and the clouds and the storms and everything are not all other, like all storms kind of look similar. You know, the clouds look similar. Maybe they're communicating with each other. We don't know. We can't get up there and find out if they're alive. Yeah, so you end up with an animism type. Everything is alive. This is where I'm Everything. going, yeah. yeah. So there's sort of this idea of like your connection to the world through your consciousness, through your your actual experience, not this um, external test or experiment in a lab that's removing your ability to experience the universe <laughs> from it. Yeah. Right, to make sure that, you know, that thing always starts bubbling at this particular energy level yeah. so that you can write that down and then start making deductions on all this other <laughs> stuff, right? Those are, you're trying to remove your own senses from that. Get it, build a better instrument to detect it. Right. Not just your sense of it. Ow. Your experience Ow, of hot. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I, I would imagine that, that that would be, you know, you start going down that route of like, spirit slash consciousness in everything. Yeah. And perhaps your focus is all, you know, in that, you know, on the spiritual side, you'll eventually start to gain understanding in other ways. And there's a lot of actual evidence that that happens. Yeah. With people who focus on those things. So I think in either direction, you're getting closer to the truth. Right. Right. Somewhere they merge. But in so many respects, like they merge through us. Yeah. But in so many ways, you look at like, say, this spiritualism starts to make claims about the physical. Oh, yeah. And then, though, and then if you go on the materialism route, you know, they start to make claims about the spiritual. Yeah. And both seem to be wrong about the other one. Yeah. Like the material, they both are saying that the other one doesn't really. Exist. Right. <laughs> well, the, the the spiritual one's just like, yeah, the physical is all this stuff, and it's then, well, it's an illusion, and it's not real, and, and, the, and the physical is like, no, this stuff's actually here, and actually, that's not really right. Real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they both start to claim that the other one isn't real. <laughs> that's true. They do that. They do that. And then, if they even accept that the other one's real, the claims they make about it are not. Yeah, they are often proven, or sure. at least, at least in the material since they're proven to be discorrect or yeah. incorrect. Yeah. Um, in the spiritual sense, there's no real way to just like prove that wrong. It's yeah. just like, well, other people have different experiences than right. that. It's difficult to have empiricism in, in <clears throat> consciousness or spiritual practices, but uh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so, so I'm just saying that each, no matter which way you go, you are, you're, narrowing down the truth like you're heading you're you're seeking the truth as you know what i'm saying yeah you can be getting closer to the truth in developing these abilities or these understandings of the world yeah. of the universe but it seems weird that there's like it, it's like maybe we start out in the middle like naturally yeah. um we're in the middle 
and then you pick your you pick your route. <laughs> <laughs> you start going down that route, and you get further away from the truth of the other one. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. I I think, <clears throat> and that does apply. But what 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 I think what I was getting at was more. Uh, it's more of a thought experiment. Um. Because I'm 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 just wondering. I'm not saying that this happened. I was just trying to imagine putting myself in the mind of somebody who some ancient person before any kind of advancement at all and saying what would what would a uh, what would you make of the night sky you know pre anything pre everything including spiritual ideas okay you just look up there and there are all these dots what are you going to do with that you know you have to wonder that they would wonder because they're like us right but let's say you go all the way back before anyone had any ideas about spiritualism before there was any kind of there was no established, even shamanism, there was just no established, you know, before there was established anything. It was just people were trying to survive and not die. They have no language. They're not communicating well, with maybe each they other. Can, yeah, they could probably communicate. Okay, that was where that was where I started. Yeah. Yeah. You can <laughs> communicate with each other, but you're looking at the night sky, and I'm just, like, thinking, like, and I'm not wondering if there's a, if there's a difference between a material or a spiritual path. I'm just wondering, like, just looking at it. You're not doing a trance. You're not taking any entheogens. You're just looking at the night sky every night, and you're like, what the fuck is going on up there? And then if you began to study it, just however you could by trying to see what is actually happening. Are these dots moving? Do, do you know, and you begin to notice the wanderers or whatever, and that makes you look at all that. Do any of these other ones actually move around real slowly like those? And you start to notice, no, they all move as a group, you know, and then over time you notice that. They do move in weird ways, but you have to sort of like look at the same time every day or then you have to look at the same time once a year and so on and so forth. But like that kind of study that is beyond any kind of like what we think of as astrophysics today, you're just looking at points of light in the sky. You have no magnification abilities. Right. So you're only getting the motions. Yeah. Do you start to notice fundamental patterns that we have missed with our very powerful instruments? I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. So that that's that was one of my thoughts that I had. I was just like, I wonder if this is where this is one of the things that we just don't know this. And, and we don't have any way of, you know, we don't, we don't have this. It's a very fundamental understanding that they gained because they didn't have all these tools that we have to look at the sky. It seems like you could do this. Um, and you don't have any preconceived ideas of what's going on out there. It seems like you could do this or like somebody skilled with, uh, you know, like computer graphics programs, uh, video motion programs or 3D programs. You could like set up a situation where from the outside you could see the shapes and the overall patterns of motion. And then you put yourself or you put the camera view on one tiny aspect of it that's part of this overall motion like say you pick something like um say like a a spiraling motion and sort of like a mandrel brought or mandrel mandelbrot mandelbrot set like where there's <clears throat> multiple levels of the same repeating pattern of motion yeah from small to large and then you put the camera on like a really small one that's looking out 
Yeah. And it's like spinning or going throughout this motion, but it's also part of this bigger motion. So the camera, from the, from the viewpoint of the camera, it's just noticing things moving by. Right. Like that whole, the difference between being outside of it, looking at the entire pattern. It's like, oh yeah, I can see that pattern yeah. taking place, that pattern of motion taking place. Like like the patterns of the solar system and the planets moving around. You're like, yeah. 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 <laughs> but you're standing here on the freaking planet and you're looking out there and you're like, that is not what's happening. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, I would imagine that you can, that, that that would happen, that there are like, you can from the outside see the simplicity of this particular motion yeah. of like, for example, just with the pool table, take the, let's use billiard balls as an example. <laughs> oh, yeah. here we go. <laughs> <sighs> so you got, there's, there's two balls on the table. There's the eight ball and the cue ball and it's over by the corner and you hit the cue ball and you see, you know, you've set your angle to where you kind of nick it on the left side and it moves to the right and goes in the hole. Yeah. And then the cue ball bounces on that shoulder and then hits that shoulder and comes to rest right. in the middle. Now you put a camera, put on, the the camera on the cue ball. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's facing the cue stick and you're like, Donk, you know, and then what are you actually seeing? Like you're seeing the, the whole freaking room flipping you, yeah. all around. And then for a moment you see like this little tiny portion of this ball and then you're hitting this. I mean, it would be extremely difficult to deduce what was actually going on, but you might notice certain patterns. Right after after studying the video over and over and over and over, yeah, you would notice that you saw that eight ball getting closer every revolution. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as for, it was flying past yeah, you, it was if, a little bigger each and time. And it took twenty four <laughs> hours for the ball to roll over every yeah. time. And you're like, man, like twelve hours. I'm just looking at nothing but green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there's all this crazy stuff. <laughs> So it would take, you know, you might notice some something completely different that nobody else, you know, that, that only, I mean, even, even, I guess if you were a physicist and you were analyzing the actual rolling of the ball and the spinning of the ball that caused it to curve or whatever, that physicist might understand that, but, but they're never really analyzing that rolling ball in terms of like, what is one point? on the ball, yeah, on yeah, the surface so now, of the ball moving around. Now let's around. make it even more complicated. Put a disco ball on the floor next to the pool table and shine a bunch of lasers on it and have it spinning so that it's making dots all over the <laughs> ceiling and then have that ball rolling. And then you're looking at the, you're looking at these dots rolling past on the ceiling and then you're looking at green for 12 hours and you're looking at dots rolling past. But the dots are moving around because that disco ball is spinning down there and you can't see the disco ball spinning. That's what I mean. Like... I bet you the camera perspective guy, if say that one revolution of the of the cue ball was equivalent to his one day, that he would be able to point out why you freaking missed that eight ball or didn't get the freaking thing in because he would be able to study it very intently yeah, by looking a, at the right. The dots he was like, ceiling. "Oh man, he hit it wrong. He can tell long before he gets to the eight ball that it's not going to work." <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> but yeah, that's my point. Is like. I don't know if this is something that happened, but what I mean is that, is that, you know, like 
would you gain some kind of understanding that would lead you to understand, like would lead you to a different path of advancement because you saw some correlation in things on the planet and then the stars, not the planets or the sun or the moon, you know, but just the patterns you would see in, the, in these dots of light in something that you don't even know to call space yet. Yeah. That you would begin to correlate them. With that, the, yeah, that's what I was, I was trying to say. Yeah, I, uh, like using the pool example, the, the pool table example, like from the camera, like from from the outside, you can just see simply that there's this pool ball rolling towards the other one. And then, yeah. and if it's at the right angle, it's going to knock that one in. But if you were on, if you were observing it from the, the surface of the pool ball, you would start to notice all types of different things. Yeah. Right. Having nothing to do with the pool table or rolling balls. Yeah. But you might start to discern certain things about geometry. Yeah. Right? That are that are giving you completely different clues to to totally different fundamentals. Oh yeah. Okay, I see what you mean. Because you have no idea that you're actually on a pool table rolling towards an eight ball or right. whatever, and that there's pockets and whatever. But yeah. you're you're just noticing these geometric patterns moving past you at certain rates. Of time, or yeah. and they're and they're subtly changing as this, as you know this, you know what we would say from the outside, the ball's got this little left spin on it. Yeah. So of course the orientation of the rolling ball isn't perfectly, you know. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah, its axis of rotation is also rotating. Yeah. So yeah. so you're gonna the room as you pass by looking at the room pass over you is going to start to change. And so you're going to start to notice these weird spiraling patterns in the stuff around you. And yeah. that's going to give you completely different yeah. lessons in geometry or whatever than if you're standing on the outside watching the pool ball roll. Yeah. That's what I was meaning. I'm, saying, I'm trying to say, I think, yeah. yeah. I was trying to give an example of okay. like how, yeah, that could probably happen. Because you're not concerned with pool balls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. You don't know that there's a game going on. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you mean, yeah. Since you don't have the wider knowledge of what's really going on, you're just looking at the patterns of things moving by, and you might... Yeah, and it might lead you down this totally, completely different path of discovery. Where you never invent billiards at all. Or Yeah, okay, yeah, but going back... <laughs> <laughs> yes, but going back to the, to the you know, there's, there's the stars and stuff, like... Just observing the motions of these lights in the sky could lead you down this completely different path of discovery, having nothing to do with cosmology. Yeah. Having nothing to do with what the dots of light were made of and how far away they are and all that. Yeah. It's teaching you something completely different. Perhaps. Yeah. So what led me along this line of thinking was thinking about Adam's calendar, you know. And like that was... That that is some clearly that is a project that could be done by one person. There are no enormous massive stones, right? You can picture one guy who's just crazy. He's out there in the savanna before it was a desert. He's out there in the savanna, and he's finding himself some nice flat stones, and he's standing them up, and he's trying to freaking understand what the hell is going on in the sky, right? Now it's more complicated than that. But just the idea of Adam's calendar and that the fact that they're just relatively small stones that one person could stand up or maybe two people or whatever, and you could sort of start to do this. And as you study, you stand up, stand them up over here and you stand them up over there and you're making these representations. And it's a result of a lot of observations, you yeah. know, and maybe it was continued. Maybe it was a student project or maybe it was a teacher. I don't know. Maybe there was a whole school there and they used this thing to teach or whatever. But the point is that 
I just saw that and I was like, one guy could do that. You don't need a whole team of dudes to make gigantic earthworks or cut stones out of quarries and drag them from miles away. You're just standing stones up in a flat area and looking at the night sky and trying to understand what the hell's going on up there with all these little dots. Yeah. And that may not be what happened there. It may have been somebody was trying to teach advanced knowledge that they already had. That's totally possible. What I'm just saying yeah. is it gave me the idea of like, you could do this. And what, if you did this over a lifetime, you know, if you were just the crazy guy on the hill and the tribe fed you <laughs> because they were like, we, he's a wizard or something. <laughs> <laughs> he does come and tell us like, we need to get it. We need to like go up on top of the hill because it's about to freaking storm or something. He knows <laughs> for some reason, but all he does is stand up rocks out there and look at the stars, <laughs> right? What would he notice? Yeah. What knowledge understanding would he begin to gain? And would he see things that we have totally missed because all of our quote unquote understanding of astrophysics and what stars really are gets in the way. Yeah. That kind of leads me down another train of thought. It's like about food, you know, like way back before all, like once again, before civilization and all this technology, yeah. like you, you've, you're eating stuff. Yeah. And you don't really know what it is or maybe, you know, your parents fed it to you. But yeah. now you're in a different place because that place you had to leave yeah. or whatever. Volcano you, exploded or something. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're like eating new stuff. <laughs> 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 so you would start to get this, like, we don't even deal with this anymore because of supermarkets. And we know that everything, you go into the supermarket and you can just buy all that stuff and eat it. Yeah. You know, like you don't want to eat. The liquid smoke. Like, that's not a drink. <laughs> that's a little thing you put a drop in or maybe you put some on your beef jerky that you're making. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not going to eat the cayenne pepper out of the jar. But it's still, it's like, it's, you know, it's got instructions on it. It's it's pretty simple now. Yeah. But back then, you it's just like. just want to wheeze the juice. You had to really think about how does this make me feel? And yeah. so you would probably be a lot more attuned to the different states of mind that every different food caused. Like, you know, people talk about food comas and stuff. Oh, yeah, man, eat pizza. And just like <laughs> food coma. <laughs> like we have like pretty broad yeah. feelings. But they, I'm, I'm imagining that these people would be very highly attuned to the way a substance would make them feel. So there yeah. may be all these subtle things like, oh, well, if you eat that leaf off of that tree – it will kind of give you this sort of state of mind. Yeah. And if you combine it a little bit with this root. <laughs> and you get high. That will fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and ah, so there, then there's like, why? Like, what is it about this thing that makes you, mm. that causes these feelings, right? This is where. So you're extrapolating what I'm talking about into other areas. Into yeah. other areas. See, yeah. yeah. You start to notice these patterns about. Right. But. These grasses will do these certain things to your body and give you this certain feeling or this type of energy or this sleepiness or this awakeness. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, somebody's coming up with ideas about how to combine them. And we do it all with taste. It's all like, oh, my God, that tastes so good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it's like how many people are just like, oh, yeah, when you eat that, like if you eat this one thing, it's just the feeling of it. Yeah. After you've eaten After it. you've eaten it. For the next it's day, so good. you're just badass. Yeah. Hmm. Now, we know those things as drugs, right? 
Oh yeah, yeah. take this and you'll feel great, buddy. Right. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, no, no oh yeah, don't chew it. it tastes <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so I'm just yeah. No one it. ever says like, man, I took some Xanax. They freaking taste so awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. just like you just swallow it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So there's like. But it's true that, like, if you just eat a bunch of potatoes, you're going to feel a certain way that you don't feel if you're just eating iceberg lettuce. Yeah, you're in a carb coma with the potatoes. and <laughs> <laughs> There's different feelings associated with all these yeah, foods. With lettuce, you just feel like a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. You're right. So, so you can extrapolate. I was thinking of astronomy, but now you're like, man, this would be you could apply this concept to everything. And this, so you could see maybe that this would lead you to this sort of a more fundamental understanding of the interaction that you have with the natural world in all ways. Yeah. Yeah. And whenever I'm up early enough for before sunrise and like I yeah, have a moment, you're noticing the change to be quiet and notice the the sunrise and all the animals that start yakking. Yeah. You know all the noises that start happening out in the forest and you're just like, there's a pattern to this. Yeah. And there's an obvious pattern. Right. Like they all start to kind of wake up <laughs> and which ones wake up. I can't name the different animals by the sounds that they're making, but I'm sure if I was that guy way back then, I could. Yeah. I would know every one of those animals because eventually you would see one one day making that noise and yeah. you might teach your kid that's yeah. the animal that you makes You go it. sit out there in the forest, be real quiet right before the sun comes up so that they sort of relax. And then when the sun comes up, they start making noise all around yeah. you. And, and like, eventually oh, you would start to recognize these patterns in the way they chatter with each other. Yeah. And you might notice like, oh, you know what? There's a predator walking through the woods way over there because of this yeah. language that's coming from this forest. Mm -hmm. There's like all those different types of patterns that we don't even, yeah. you know. I have guns. <laughs> yeah. I want an app. I don't care what they're saying. <laughs> I want an app where I just turn it on. It listens to the forest and tells me if there's a predator out there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have guns. I don't care what they're saying. <laughs> that's, pretty much, that's pretty much the deal. <laughs> and also true. there is a steak at the supermarket, so I don't care what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah America <laughs> it's great but at the same time you know we are missing out yeah okay I think we're done I, I yep. have I have two other things but we'll save them for some other time that was good I, I wasn't sure I wasn't sure if uh, I was going to be able to really get that across so well i think you did yeah i mean you were able to extrapolate from it and start talking about different stuff with it so i guess i got it across okay because that was cool i i had to took me a while to figure out what you were doing i was like oh wait oh he's doing my star thing with food <laughs> yeah. like why is he talking about eating right now <clears throat> but i going back to just the the, the main premise of going back to think about this time before there was ever any civilization. Because a lot of the stuff we talk about is that a lot of these things were inherited. You know, that's basically what Graham Hancock's yeah. whole thesis is. Yeah. A lot of these traditions were inherited by somebody who had the understanding before. Right. 
right? That's interesting and exciting to think about, but how did they get it? Right. That's another Somebody thing. had to get it. It's in the just first pushing place. the bar back right. further. Same thing. That's what I thought with panspermia too. It's just you're just kicking the can down the road. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's interesting to think of, uh, and and it, it's something I like to do on occasion. Yeah. Try to think of, in yeah. any scenario, like what yeah, the, are the first people? The possibility of a lost advanced civilization or multiple ones. I think at this point that there were probably multiple ones. Uh, talking to Randall Carlson every week. For the past couple of months, and the way we we're going through these the, these cycles of destruction, I'm just like, there probably have been multiple event civilizations, and there's yeah. just almost nothing left. Yeah, because each each destruction leaves a totally changed everything. Yeah, climate, face of the planet, mountains are gone, mountains are new, oceans are moved. Yeah, and uh, you know, whole landscapes vanish, entirely new ones appear. <clears throat> anyway, um. So, yeah, sometimes it's cool to say, well, what about before all those guys? However many advanced civilizations there were that we don't know about now. Let's go before all of them because at some point there had to be somebody who was totally dumb and didn't know anything <laughs> and had just, like, figured out that he has a rock. <laughs> and there are weird dots in the sky at night. And then he starts standing up his rock to see if he can figure out what's going on with those dots. Yeah. What would that guy figure out? First scientist. <laughs> <laughs> I have rock. Stand yeah. it up. Look at sky. <laughs> All right. That's it for this week. I think that was a good show. I enjoyed it. Yep, me too. That was that was fun. Yeah. <clears throat> it's good to let the old hair down. Not not have to have a whole bunch of stuff from a book, try to synthesize, just sit down, freaking talk with you guys. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. So uh <clears throat> A few things. Uh, the Conduct of the Cabin is sold out. We are leaving next week on Friday. I expect to put out some, to, to publish some uh, podcast material from it. I don't know how exactly that's going to go. Uh, we may, it may be in conjunction with Grimerica and Randall Carlson. It may just be us talking about what's going on. It may be um, multiple things. Not a fantastic recording quality. Right. Kyle because... doesn't want to pack up the entire studio. So, yeah. So we might just bring the samplers, yeah, handheld, but mics and no matter what, you guys will get material from it while we're there. Yeah, so. pictures and yeah. Stuff. What I would like to do, especially, is I'd like to take the sampler since we have these little handheld samplers, and this may not be great quality, but while we're on some of the excursions that we go on, you know, <clears throat> we'll get some recordings. Obviously, we'll get video or whatever, but. I want to do some podcasting from the sites. Be like, holy shit, guys, we're looking at this place and it's amazing, right? <laughs> Just like actually there. But we'll see how it goes. We're not really sure how it's going to work out yet. But I, but I expect to publish material from the, from the event itself while we're there. So, Cool. And that's starting next week. Friday, we're leaving. Um, okay. You guys can get a hold of us, brothersoftheserpent at gmail.com. You can go to the website, brothersoftheserpent.com. Comment there. Check the Encyclopedia for all the, uh, my encyclopedia of all the weird stuff we talk about and the glossary for all the made-up terms we have. Yeah, check us out on Twitter <laughs> at SNKBRS, at Snake Bros, with no vowels. Uh, share the shows, donate to our pyramid scheme. Yeah. Send us um, pie. Or evil. Love pie. <laughs> 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 
Give us reviews uh, on iTunes, uh, Player FM, Pod, Podbean, wherever you can get reviews. I did notice that someone with a low V has finally showed up on iTunes. Oh, yeah. We have one one-star review. No, no comment. Just somebody gave us one star. So the low V finally showed up. Come on. Bad <laughs> review really needs an explanation. Yeah. we're at Tell four, me why. It's we are now at 4.9. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why it's bad. <laughs> yeah. I can't. How can can't we fix, fix it if you don't tell us? If you don't tell us what's wrong with it. <laughs> it's probably that guy that was mad at us on YouTube for laughing about everybody. <laughs> <laughs> can't fix that either. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, guy. <laughs> also, don't forget about History Shift at History Shift on YouTube. You can find him on YouTube. You can find him on Twitter. Uh, he has a he has a blog where he posts images of his explorations of the hinterlands of Montana, looking for dolmens and um, uh, glacial erratics and yeah, sandpoint. Yeah, HistoryShift.blogspot.com. You can find him on Twitter at History Shift. All, uh, and also, he still wants uh, hiking hiking buddies to help him not die from sandpoint. And we also have Henry. Hablack on Instagram. You can find him at H Hablack with a K. So H H A B L A K on Instagram. He also has a website, Hermetica with a K dot big cartel dot com. Cool. Thanks to all you guys. Oh, and acoustic paneling solutions. Oh, yeah. Kmart. If you want some beautiful acoustic panels <clears throat> uh, to help sound dampen your echoey room that you can't understand anything anybody's saying in. <laughs> Contact our good buddy Kmart. Uh, send him an email. Um, his email is acousticpanelingsolutions at gmail.com. That's right. And last but not least, the Snakeskins. We have a merchandise webpage. You can find it on brothersoftheserpent.com in the upper right. Click on the Snakeskins. You'll see some examples. Uh, the store, the link to the store is in there. We have all kinds of great stuff. Swag. So, thank you guys so much. Thanks a lot. Yep. Good night. See you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.